Episode 216 and it's me, Gary P. And of course, the prof, Cartwright. Two tired hoopers here on a Wednesday night. I'm bollocks. I'm bollocks, man. <laughs> I really am. I can't it's... wait to talk about us losing twice. Oh, man. And it's been a long week following the hoops as well. It's been a long week following the hoops. And it's not even gotten to do with like a, like a European hangover. It's just life. Life has us tired. Well, we're going to talk about our sponsors, of course, when you go to the Conference League. And you need a few quid, we got less of quid. We got your back. And Ocean Electrical, of course, the king of the electrics. Um, sponsors of Power. Uh, Simon Power, next season. Makes so much sense. So, of course, it's less of quid and Ocean Electrical. And we have our Belgium and Derry reviews, Prof. Both ending in, defe- Both ending in defeat, sadly. And we look ahead to talk on Thursday. And there's interviews with 60s player John Kyo and fan favourite B.I. Billy Dennehy. And it's time with Rovers, Prof. So, Long um, average you, this one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, John Kyo was brilliant. It was, um, if you've ever well spoken for an 80-odd-year-old, mm. um, one of those kind of real nostalgic throwback listens where you just, to back to simpler times, you know. You love it. You're going to love it. And of course, B.I. Billy Dennehy. Talking about his exploits as a Rovers fan. Um, big, big fan of Billy. I think we all were. And I, 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 Prof puts the question to him about uh, how he was Marmite to some Rovers fans. He would love him or hate yeah. him. And I loved him. I'll be honest. I loved him. I loved everything he gave us. And those type of wingers do not exist anymore. No one hugs the line. No one goes down the touch line. No one knocks a pass anyone and goes by them anymore. Yeah, as I was asking the question, I was talking about hugging the touchline. I was just thinking to myself, hang on, this doesn't happen anymore. What? I, know. I had to think back to that time. Mm. It's it's a uh, football has evolved. Um, so intro got a lot of love last week, and of course, <laughs> I had to. It was absolutely brilliant. Celebration of Ronan Finn's European exploits. Yeah. What else? Capitan, fantastic, and uh, big shout out to Finner getting his fifty fifth appearance. Big shout out to our British person as well, also part of the Tifties universe. Yes, yes. Uh, Ross was listening to the podcast there and thinking to myself, the two lads speak way too quickly. Was about to text you abuse, and you realize it was only playing at one point two five speed. Didn't even know you could do that. So we have Ross, um, ticket office Ross, and he, I didn't know you could do that either. I know you can do it on WhatsApp, and you can speed it up to two. You speed it up to yeah, one and a half. Seen that already? I didn't know you could listen to podcasts like that. Now, in fairness, is there a Spotify setting where you just? I'd never even tried. I presume it's there, but it's that is it that easy to accidentally hit? Okay, I imagine it is. Yeah, you could flick off in your pocket. I'd be cycling to work, and then the podcast would just change. And I'd hear something else, you know, because whatever way it's in my pocket, it rubs up off it. Yes, so Phelan, hugely enjoyable episode, lads. Particularly the chat with Dominic Foley. He was a regular in the bar with my pal at Catalpa Wharf, ran a boozer in Bruges. And today's edition really has me fired up for the game. So hashtag Rovers in Europe. So um, brilliant stuff from Phelan. Thanks um, for all the... Phelan is probably our most... He is the Gary Twig of Tifty's listeners. <laughs> He's prolific. He comments every week. We've loved the love. Appreciate the love and appreciate all the support. Um, 
thanks thanks very much Phelan um, I also got some Stuart Lee feedback here too would you believe Eamon Mack wants us to do a Stuart Lee fans podcast but make it mainly about Tom O'Connor again this is a very obscure reference Tom O'Connor is Stuart Lee's ma's favourite ever comedian Okay, he's just some nobody who does the cruise ships oh okay okay and yeah. he according to his ma he's the best comedian of all time but she doesn't like Stu's work. Yeah, she's like her son, yeah. And there was also a swimmer hoop on the forum. Uh, sorry, lads, got about 10 minutes in, and now I'm re-watching all the Shira Lee specials I can find again. He's definitely the 41st best stand-up ever. <laughs> again, a reference to the E4 best 100 comedians of all time. I must check him out, bro, because I've never yeah. actually watched a full one, I'll be yeah. honest. I think we're only talking about this in our WhatsApp group. We're talking about what comedians we like. And... I was talking, I think it was the Deco Fitz about a fella, and I can't remember his name anymore, but he's brilliant. And I'm, I'm terrible when it comes to names. But uh, yeah, comedy prof, Stuart mm. Lee is your number one. Who's your second? Have you got Have you got anyone that's close? I don't really have a, a second. Um, I mean, all time, including people who are no longer with us, then George Carlin, I think, is the best ever. I think but, Tom uh, Segura is the name of the one I'm thinking of. Could be. I like Ricky Gervais as well. But the, the, the name... The point of that title was uh, 41st best ever stand-up. Stu always puts a bit of thought into the title of his special because he, he tours every two years. So his next one is going to be called Basic Lee. So just to play in his name. The previous one was Content Provider. I wouldn't have guessed that now. But, but, but he used to have uh, more kind of elaborate titles. And he said this one here, because I read his book, he said he couldn't think of a title for the show. And it was going right up down to the wire. And then he turned on the TV, and there was E4, 100 Best Comedians of All Time, and he was 41. Ah, okay. okay. And he was like, that's name my show, 41st <laughs> Best Stand-Up Ever. <laughs> uh, yes, so we move on to Rob and Afrik. I'm going to sing them a wedding song, Prof. Oh, here we go. Are you ready? This is Rob, Dunn, and Afrik O'Malley. Afrik Dunn now, maybe? So it's, uh, what do you sing, Happy Marriage? I don't think there is a wedding song. But either way... We say congratulations on your wedding day. This is going to drive him to divorce, if anything. <laughs> yeah, so congratulations. Two listeners, Prof. Couples who listen. There we go. Give us one oh, of those. Couples who listen, Prof. There's a Tifty's hotline. There's a Tifty's hotline. <laughs> yes. Couples who listen, get in touch with us. Um, let us know if you do listen and if you listen together. Which could be a bit weird. What, 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 when where? do you listen? <laughs> where do you listen? <laughs> Oh, for nah, but we'll keep it PC. They're, yeah, they're yeah, in their yeah. pajamas, having some wine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, Tallis Stadium, name and rights up for grabs, Prof. What are we thinking? I'm, I'm, if we're if we're gonna go, we're gonna take the piss. Obviously, Tifties, Tales from the East End Stadium, which actually doesn't sound too bad. Um, Ocean Electrical Arena. Yeah. Um, Camille Toy Tallis Stadium. Camille Toy Stadium. <laughs> There's another one that's uh, like realistically, if we were to go, if anyone kind of had a brain in their head. And they wanted really good exposure. Like I think I mentioned before, like the Beacon Sports Center Arena. You know, something that could actually tie in with the stadium. You know, I don't think if you're going to be a sponsor of a stadium, you should probably have some sort of involvement. Whereas you're not just naming it and that's it. Mm. And the name comes up and telly when it comes up. You should have some sort of involvement within the stadium if you're going to name it. That's, that's what I think. Like, People, just hopefully it's not the Papa John's pizza. People are coming up with vomit-inducing names like McDonald's Stadium and all that. But did you notice there are actually rules? Uh, it can't be 
related to gambling, cigarettes, alcohol, or high fat foods. So that rules out a lot. Well, that's of not bad. That's not. That's not bad. At all. Um, yeah. So we have next up, we have Ben Mullen, and a horror story. But we have to give him a round of applause, Prof, for this gentleman that actually made the game. You're not going to believe this, but we love travel mishaps and logistical it's, nightmares. It's an insane story. It was nuts. Because when he's when he's initially sent a message, I was like, ah, probably probably not that bad. <laughs> it's that bad. So here's Ben and his travel nightmare. What's the story, lads? Ben Mullen here. on to tell you about myself and my granddad's bit of a nightmare story about getting to Ghent. So we had originally booked a Thursday morning flight into Shipall Airport, leaving Dublin at 6.40 a.m. We got an email during the week saying that they had to change us to the 11.15 a.m. flight because they overbooked it, which was fine because we were still going to make it. Um, we got to Dublin and it was delayed by half an hour. So we ended up not arriving until about 2 p.m. Amsterdam time. We rented a car because it was cheaper than the train. We ended up paying about 170 euro for it. And uh, we got there and I had booked it on my debit card which I thought it was fine. So we were told I'd had to pay a 400 euro deposit, which was grand, uh, was got to the euro car and was told that I need a credit card in my name because it was an, it was a Dutch law and wasn't told that, uh, was told that I needed to pay a deposit. So I thought it would have been fine on my debit card Um, ended up being in, page 25 of a 39 page terms and conditions list which is ridiculous that it was that i had to pay it on credit card so uh we didn't get the car they wouldn't give us a refund so that's 170 euro down the drain they had no buses to ghent until five o'clock and it was a three-hour bus so we were we would have missed the the match so we ended up having to pay 255 euro on a taxi um told the taxi man get his foot down and to be fair he did we didn't end up arriving until the stadium till about 43 minutes past six and we ran to the gate um, and we didn't have the ticket exchange so we only had the vouchers that rover sent us um, we showed them to the security guard the security guard wasn't having any of it he was like yeah you missed your booking slot you're not getting in and um we're like okay right grand get us your manager um get us the ticket office whatever ticket office closed at six o'clock he got us his, his supervisor we explained to the supervisor he still wasn't having any of it i said listen we're not we're not sneaking into the stadium here we were just late then uh, after a few words given between the two of us he finally let us in and as we were walking up the stairs the first goal went in so we missed the first 10 minutes of the match that was grand. Um, getting back to Shipall, we the only way we could get it was the bus. Um, the waiting time at Shipall was crazy. Uh, they had us go to three different terminals to get us through security. To then our flight being delayed until twenty past eleven in the evening, so I didn't. We didn't end up getting home till about half one. So. Um, uh, a, certainly a trip to remember but a trip to forget at the same time but uh, yeah anything for Rovers okay thanks lads uh, poor old Ben my god he only he missed the first goal he didn't think it was going to be that bad and he wouldn't even let him in initially he barely even made it into the gates poor fella but he got there anyway and that's what you call dedication a proper hoop 
Uh, there was a few horror stories around, not nowhere near to that extent, but just there was stuff like, uh, what was it? T- Tommy Tormy had his had his hotel. Uh, he didn't have enough money in his account two days before by accident, and then so his car declined, and then he had to go again and book a hotel. I'm very similar though. Ended up in my B and B. The Ghent Centrum was called. Do you um, leave money in your account? Um. Yeah, no account. You can use your card with. I don't leave loads in it, but yeah, if I know if I know something like this is coming up, yeah. I'll leave more than usual. I leave then. nothing in it. Yeah, I, I'm terrified of fraudsters. I I have mm. a couple of different accounts that you just transfer back and forth. I was actually taken for fraud by that account for three euro. I was every so and often. I, I had to report that to the police. I was yeah. like, I'm here to report fraud of three euro. But that's what they do. Yeah. They dip in for one yeah. or two or three. And they see that it's successful, and then they dip in, scoop all the rest of it up. That's how they do it. Yeah, um, another one was James Lowe had his uh, hotel cancelled on him, in, like two hours beforehand. Just I, got the email. I'd have cancelled the hotel. Your book has been cancelled. If I'd have seen him, like, <laughs> oh, get, I'd have cancelled the hotel as well, straight away. That photo of me, you and him, does him does no justice. It was only it was about an hour before the march. I know. You you can't tell by his eyes, but he's he's in, the, in another world. Oh, he he came up. He goes, "Come here, you. <laughs> Come here. I love you." I was like, "Oh yes, James. He's yeah. James. James. He's loose." But it was. Uh, we'll we'll move on to some stories. We'll tell you some people, stories. Um, had trouble in Amsterdam, wasn't it? Oh man, uh, it was shithole. This ba- Barry got stuck there overnight, didn't he? Oh, poor fella, Mrs. Floyd. Yeah, it was an absolute disaster. So what? Just. Whatever way they run that fucking shithole of an airport, it just doesn't work. And there was uh, another guy on Twitter talking Did you about use that as well. Yeah, no, it was Eindhoven. Oh, you were like Eindhoven, that, brilliant. Yeah. So we were talking about the way some fella barged his way through and just bumped through absolutely everybody, and he just about made his flight. Pedro, Pedro, one of our Tifties bogies. Oh, Steve O'Kelly, you talking about? On yeah, Twitter, Steve O'Kelly yeah. on Twitter. Yeah, Pedro he said the, he, he does the live updates for robbers. Ah, yeah. very good. Yeah. yeah, so he had to, he had trouble as well. So Pedro said that if he didn't barge his way through. And he didn't have a 40 minute delay, he would have missed it. He said he just made it with the delay. When you say barge your way through, are you talking about like you're actually cutting people? Literally, in the queue? yeah. Would you? I'd do it. I personally, I'd have no problem. I'd say, I'm missing my flight, get out of my way. I wouldn't be real, but you know what I mean? I'd be like, right, sorry, sorry, excuse me. Because when people do that, not many people pull them back. Like if someone went, someone mm. went by me, actually, and I was like, eh, I, don't, I don't really care. So I'd go, I'd go straight through. If I'm missing my flight, if I'm I gone. was on the same flight, I'd either I wouldn't say I'd stop him I'd say this guy has the right idea I'd follow him <laughs> yeah. I'd say let's go <laughs> there's a gang of us who we'll on to the game though prof but Gareth being stuck <clears> in Amsterdam <throat> overnight nearly as bad as being stuck in a 22 hour queue to see a coffin are we going to do this no we're not Move are we going to give it air time <laughs> no we're not well, let's be honest Twitter is fascinating last couple of, last week what like they're they're mental they are a mental race so much so it's infected me and I'm watching The Crown. <laughs> I started watching The Crown and I'm Googling these... Whose idea was this now? You or Larice? This is the two of us as a, an accumulation of our sordid interest of this mental family. This is a real couple show now. It's it's actually... it's No, it's actually good actors in it. Do you know who's in it? Fucking Trinity Killer is Winston Churchill. Um, Lithgow? Yeah, John yeah. Lithgow. Uh, you have a couple of good actors. So it's well acted. It's it's an interesting sh- show. Like, But my God... It's fucked up. It's fucked up, and they don't really hold back. Like they, 
there's a there's a bit of riding and there's, there's, there's all sorts. It's always it's always a clincher, isn't it? I'll stick to my Game of Thrones prequel. But for it's the, uh, for the it's interesting, like to just see how fucked up monarchy and royal families are. I just two of us start laughing at one stage because the Churchill wanted to stop your man, the big tall zombie fucker who married the Queen. Hang on, but, the zombies in the monarchy. <laughs> Philip. Philip, sure, the, the big tall racist who was married to the Queen, right? He's like a zombie. And he just wanted to fly an airplane. Winston Churchill was bringing it up at meetings and they were just like, the place was covered in fog in the 40s. People were dying and he was just like, yeah, he can't fly an airplane. It's it's mental. It's mental what was going on. I'm not doing it justice. Well, we move on. That was the crown. Um, 3-0 prof against uh, disappointing result. Team Jack and Rory started this time. McCann again. Uh, Euro versus league starts prof hit us yeah that him. was my stat there he started 7 European games this season and 4 league games 7 oh Jesus isn't that bizarre it's nuts isn't it he's been brilliant he has he's, but he's, uh, he always gets rested you know the Ben Harps game he was rested he keeps resting him for the league games yeah. and starting the European games yeah so prof the Gila- what are we saying Gilamco or Gelamco and for once I didn't actually look it up I'm guessing I'm going to guess that that's a pharmaceutical company um, I actually don't know. I think that's uh, what my guess. It seems very, very uh, chemically. That Lude, wasn't that Lou Gretz? They were sponsored. sponsored it seems by very big, similar as well. They were backed it? by a big farmer crowd, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So just a couple of things in the build-up um, before we actually get to the travels. Um, I did my usual stat attack on the website, and Connor Connor Sullivan sent this on to me. One of the replies. Uh, I didn't actually open his profile, so I'm not sure who he supports, but it's, uh, he supports some other team. And he, he slagged the graphic for us humble bragging nil-nil draws. But like, you know how my mind works here. We drew nil all with your garden. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, here's a list of all our scarlet draws. Yeah. That is it. That's it. Like, I just... You're I, merely providing the service. I like listing things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's the extent of it. Like, I did. Uh, this guy is looking really deep. I this. love when people question you or your stats because you don't let it go. No, you don't. I love it, and I can see it's annoying you. Humble Any- bragging, scarless draws. What the fuck is that? About? Anybody? I'm talking. Prof wants smoke when it comes to this. Don't fuck with the stats. That's what I say. Uh, yeah, Glamco. What a what a fucking arena, man. My God, it actually and, was a class day. Ah, uh, I walked up. Do you know? I kind of did the slow motion thing. My, the kids in the family were looking at me like, look at this weirdo. And I was like, now let's all walk slowly together and then let's have that Disney family moment where we just look at each other. Left to right and we all smile but instead kids are all baiting each other, swinging cans of Fanta, attacking each other. I'm just like, will you watch? Look at the stadium. Try to have a moment. Try to have a moment. <laughs> no, but it was stunning, stunning arena. Yeah. Oh my God, man. Uh, you, you, I think you went past as well, didn't you? And the bus over. We actually stopped at it for a second because we were dropping off young Luke, the the photographer, mm-hmm. for for a bit of media duty. So we kind of circled the little car park for a second. So we all got a little sneak oh, peek. Oh, so you it. got like a little a rotation view of it. We got a little sneak peek, but yeah, it looks from the outside and from the aerial, it looks like it's going to be bigger than twenty thousand. Like the. Wasn't that a quiz question last week? The the Swedish ground was actually yeah, thirty thousand. Yeah, yeah. It looks massive on this the outside, doesn't it? It's such yeah. a such a beautiful stadium. I just couldn't get over it. And you're just looking at it like, oh my god, like this is just purpose built. They know how, they know their limits. They know they're not going to get mad past twenty thousand. Brilliant, brilliant. Do you know, been a great show. Um, 
on the shuttled back from the uh, post match, Leighton Doyle, I was on the same bus as him. Huh. I know you had a great time with him as well, <laughs> you? but uh, he points. Uh, before we go any further, the most brutally honest man I've ever met in my life. Never mind. Yeah, Robert. I got a bit of a taste of that already. Right <laughs> no, not personally. Just about the team and stuff. Oh man, he just is very realistic. He's, he's brilliant. Um, now you pointed out that the size of the. As in, not just the stadium, but the area, the whole complex, parking and all, looks pretty like Tata Stadium. And look what they've done on it. Like, and it's probably, it's probably a bigger size than Tata. Not a bad show. But it looks kind of similar in design, and yet they've put this incredible 20,000-seater stadium yeah. right there. A media um, builder, Prof. Yeah, Media Watch. This is this is a new feature of the show. I kind of like this. Um, McIntyre. On commentary, he must use the the version media commentary. Mm-hmm. He uh, he said that we were out of our depth in the game, but then Gareth put him back his back in his place, saying that there, we we Gertie. were there on merit. So good man, Gareth. Gareth, boy, getting in, put him in his place. Um, Wednesday, prof. I went out on the Wednesday. I was up at the red eye. You were giving out to me saying the red eye flight was a bad idea. Initially, you're right. Getting up out of bed, I was like, "Oh my god!" Because I went for points the night. When did you get up, Gareth? What two in the morning or something? Was it? No, I went. Went. So I was at home. Everything was ready. Look, I was saying it's like Home Alone, Christmas in the house the night before. Everybody, there's mayhem. Anyone with kids knows the story. So me and Larry were sitting there, and we're like, "We go to the pub." It's like, "Yeah, go on." Went into the pub. One night we'll have two. Yeah, no problem. Her sister show up. Her friend show up. Right, this is getting messy. Like we got two hours sleep, got home about half twelve, up at half two, into the airport. Um and then onto the plane, red oil wasn't great. it was okay. I actually slept on the flight, believe it or not. I used my children as a mattress. <laughs> which comes in handy. I can't sleep on planes anymore unless it's late at night and I'm absolutely balls and I just pass out. It's pretty much impossible on a Ryanair flight to sleep. But it's I horrible, it, isn't it? I find it impossible on the, the early ones over. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it was um, about a hundred. a hundred on that six AM flight, was it? Ah, easy, easy, yeah. Um, Mitzi, big shout out to Mitzi. We hadn't even left the tarmac, and he got a speaking to. He got a scalding That's off God. the stewards. <laughs> Isn't that like that's a six AM flight? To six AM flight. I met him. That's at, probably mostly business folk. I met him. Who at, are probably yeah. absolutely shocked to yeah, see. Yeah, hundred percent was business folk. Yeah, all people in suits and stuff like that. And yeah. Mitzi is Mitzi. Mitzi's Mitzi, and I think it was four o'clock. And I was looking at it, I was just, I was baffled. I was like, where were you? Before It's four in the morning. But uh, no, great stuff from Mitzi. And um, yeah, we got there, happy enough. Brilliant, like, the infrastructure, I'm going to go on to that in a while. But we got there and of course, drone guy Graham, he had a Brit with him. And oh, the, Brit, the, Brits. the Brit held us <laughs> The Brit held us up for an hour. Is he a fan of the monarchy? I, I, actually, I, actually, you know what? I I had a I was I, I was with, I asked him. I was with the Tillman Burger King on um, lovely, lovely fella Thursday night, and I actually asked him like, "How do you feel about the Queen?" <laughs> I didn't just say it at random. I asked for a reason, and he's like, "No, nah, I don't give a bollocks." Yeah. So, uh, no, great fella, but he got caught up. Like, honestly, do you know how long it took me? We stood in those three queues. Stood in the one on the left. Did the automated one. Took me, kids, and her four or five minutes to get through security. Right. Took him an hour and a half nearly. Because he's a Brit. That's what that shit is. He was saying to me actually that... It's nuts, isn't it? After all, uh, after an hour and a half, they said to him they wanted to call in um, 
against someone Spectre or so because he's a Ghent fan just to have a chat with him oh he, they say, yeah that's and, what they were saying he was, like, he was like now he's chatting I was like it's a bus waiting for me yeah but we are waiting yeah. on we got one so we sent one on its way Moondog he looked after that one so we sent one on its way it was gone so there's a couple of us waiting a couple of no shows as far as I know but um, someone told me actually that so he took an hour and a half and then there was some Japanese lad there uh, I sound like Audi Horgan Japanese boy oh yeah but uh, yeah. His, his passport wouldn't work or something on the e gaze so I just said ah go on yeah go on there <laughs> even though you have a bag full of uh, fucking what's the name of that anthrax even though you're from another continent yeah bag uh, full of anthrax just there. stop this Brit here he's obviously <laughs> gonna cause trouble uh, touristy things prop. so we got there we got to the opera house where culture stopped off so what our, the way our schedule was we had about two hours to kill so we said, right, we'll go to our... Everything was in walking distance, it's deadly. The infrastructure of this place is nuts. I barely saw a car. I saw trams, I saw boats, I saw bikes everywhere. Buses going along the tram lines. Makes so much sense. Yeah. Everything was beside each other. Everything was in the, like, the right place. Jumping on a bike. You could, there was, a, there was like bike depots where you could jump on a bike and just leave it. So you get a bike, you get a boat bus. There was, you could jump on a boat, you put your hand there and get a fucking boat. <laughs> You go down whatever river that was. Um, brilliant. Brilliant. And that's the way Dublin City should be. Unfortunately, you can't even get a fucking train or a bus back from the airport. We're here. It was planes, trains and automobiles. We were in and out of everywhere within 10 minutes. Best, we walked everywhere. We best walked in Dublin everywhere. Dublin you can get is a 16 bus that goes halfway around the world. Yeah. We walked everywhere, right? So we booked in or we, we went in, put our bags in the hotel and we said, right, we'll go down to this big castle. We entered King's Landing. It was deadly. You go in, do the tour. Took us an hour and a half. Everybody gets like they should have had a torture chamber. Like they were in. There was like weapons everywhere. It's deadly. It's cool for the kids. So that touristy thing done out of the way. Checked in, and then on the follies. It's great. We hadn't even landed yet. By the time you had done all this tour, I was all touristy. You, you, yeah. you had yeah. seen castles and all. Yeah, yeah. That was really impressive though. Yeah. It was perfectly preserved, and honestly, it was huge, big, like four or five story castle. Deadly, really interesting. <laughs> you randomly ran into one of the bosses from work. Yeah, that was <laughs> interesting as well, yeah. So, yeah, you up the Charlois hoops, so I was, as I was talking about. How was your guys. journey, actually? But yours, how long did yours take from Charlois? Uh, it was one twenty-five left. We got there for local time. Uh, we're, Belgium are an hour behind us, mm-hmm. I think so. Um, so, I think there was about, well, I had uh, 50 on the bus, so there was at least, at least 50 hoopers um, on that flight, a few more I noticed just made their own way. Your uh, first bus, prof? How'd you get on? The original, the original fifty. Uh, well, there was a couple of pullouts, but uh, that was all fine. I actually didn't mind all that stuff organizing that. What I found tough was the the last minute stuff of, okay, I have three extra seats, mm. and then about nine or ten more people came to me in the very last minute. So I was there trying to. I emailed the bus company how many seats are left. They didn't didn't answer me until so bad, are they? Garrett, I well, had just landed. Then they answered me. Fifty-five. Uh, they said fifty-six. What? But the, the driver said fifty-four. <sighs> so then I miscalculated. So I had to let down a couple of people. Oh no! No, no. I mean the the original people. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm just talking about. But well, you were being yeah. extremely yeah. charitable and trying yeah. to get people yeah. on the last minute as well. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I oh, know everybody who paid up. Initially got on. That was not. That was fine. It was just the the extras I was trying to accommodate. But um, um, traffic was crazy. Like we we got away with it. I think I, I think I rode an hour fifteen on the 
Facebook post, it was a lot longer than that. <laughs> it was two and a half hours with the traffic. What? No. Yeah. Traffic oh, killing it was, you. It was really bad. It was a fellow behind me. Um, in a really thick Dublin accent, he just goes, Jeez, I thought Belgium was the size of loud. <laughs> just looking at how long it was taking us to get into Ghent. Um, but yeah, everyone survived. We all made it. Um, I think I'll be retiring on that gear my first and only bus yeah 100% record quit with a 100% record uh, very questionable pissed up at the end <laughs> the less said about that the better honestly if you have, like, like to now we're organising something for Sligo um, if you offer me a bus if you offer me a toilet on my bus I'm saying no no thank you because there's always one smart fucker who takes a shit and you have to sit in that bus with that shit just sitting there for six hours or whatever it is, return on trip. <laughs> it's always some gobshoy who'll do it. Yeah. Throw them out. Nah. I'm, I'm so used to no toilets on our buses. It mm. didn't occur to me. That yeah, that's what it is. Because I was walking up and I was like, what's that box? <laughs> I was like, oh, it's a toilet. Um, and they're on all of them. They're on all of them. Uh, we have Foley's prof, Foley's. So we got to the boozer and it was on the... On yeah, the, the guy didn't get there until about half seven. Um, You were probably in there by what? The morning, was it? For midday, I was there. So we got there for about half three, half three. Yeah. When did when did your flight land? We did our two, we, our flight landed at no about half nine, and then mm. by the time we got everybody onto the buses, it was half eleven, and leaving. So we got oh your your bus was delayed. Ah, massively, yeah, 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 Brits. Okay. Um, <laughs> Brits. Hour and a half got there, so we got to we, we got the Foley's for one, put our bags in, went to the castle, got bags half three, so. It was grand. Yeah. So Foley's, yeah. Um, not everybody, well, Foley's wouldn't be able to accommodate 1,200 people. So Certainly some, did on the day. But. Some people did their own thing, didn't they? They went to different oh, yeah, little pubs flo- around, around, around the town. Um, so we got our little deal with the, the points and the burgers. And you had the, what was your food again? I went for the, the, the beef, cheek. beef cheek stew. You got a bit of that one, Prof, didn't you? No, I had a burger in it. I gave you a little bit. I fed you. <laughs> you fed me like a little bird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the burgers. Yeah. My kids and the, she, she got the burger. Honestly, her burger. If you had a stuck of paracetamol in it, it would have got back up and walked out the door. This was a beast of a thing. It, it was. This it, they didn't tell them it was half cooked as well. So if you like your, mm. your burgers rare, medium rare, you'd mm. have been happy. No, actually, I quite liked it. Um, the beer, the crystal, I wasn't mad about. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not a beer drinker prof. anyway. But <laughs> right, I, I drank three or four of them. Right, and I thought to myself, "This is a bit watery." Right, and then it was. I watched how they were washing the dishes and the glasses. Right, it's a very European thing. So they had two big basins of water. Right, and I watched. I think I showed staff. I watched this for about three or four minutes to see how many they do. They just get the the glass, stick it in the water. So my hand gestures now are. It's quite rude, but you know what I mean? It's going up and down, and the glasses are going... No, it's not as rude as your pump. <laughs> yeah, so it's going up and down. So they put it in, give it a shake in the water, and then pour the pint. After four or five of them, I'm looking at it going, oh, Lord, give me something out of the tap. So are you doing this with all the beers? That's with all the glasses, because their fucking dishwasher was out of whack. So mm. I was thinking it was disgusting, to be honest. But no, the, uh, the crystal, but the next night, the crystal was lovely. It was lovely because it was fresh and it wasn't half uh, diluted with dishwater. Half, um, half fairy liquid. Yeah. 
Steve um, Seary, Belgian beer prof, will take many a victim on this trip. I learned the hard way back in 2003 at a Celtic away game. Yes. Nearly yeah. a victim myself. I didn't try the the harder stuff now, but uh, it took some people down, didn't it? Yeah, I was drinking La Chouette. The little beer. Or La Chouffe. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. You could go Dublin or you could go Belgian. Yeah. Very, very nice beer. I had I was kind of drinking beer half the time and Guinness half the time, but the Guinness was seven euro. That was the only, that was the only problem, so it was Jesus. expensive. Um, we nearly had our first casualty. Neil Walsh was about twenty minutes from being at the side of a milk carton. I I saw him and he's like, I'm not in fact dead. I'm just off me mallet <laughs> in someone's hotel room. <laughs> and I remember he was the f- he, ironically he was the the last person I saw before I left that night. <laughs> Do and you know? I just, was- I just remember thinking. Jesse's buttocks. Police were looking for him, and they were, he was two hundred yards away from where he was staying. I think someone just rescued him. Goes, he's in bits. I throw him in my hotel room. Um, another pub. The boys ended up in Leighton and Noly O'Brien ended up. I didn't even get to this one, man. I really wanted it. It's just the, the the whole the whole couple of days got kind of wrapped up. But they went to the bar where they take your runners mm-hmm. because they have these mad goblet glasses, big huge steins, high one point two meters in them. And um, Noly was telling me about the science of it. Whatever way it works, it just fires it into your gob so they take your runner so you don't rob the glass very cool yeah they keep it in a basket hanging up on the ceiling Um, I could I could talk all day to be honest about the people I spoke to Um, even the people who came up to me about the podcast just countless people I mean I've had it before in the away trips where people say nice things and they talk about it but something about this one it was just nuts so many people wanted to talk to me about the podcast and just were saying they loved it and to the point where I can't even remember half of it. There yeah. was so many. A lot of points being bought. A lot of points put in front of you. Fair play to anyone who said um, it. And listen, thanks very much for all the praise. Oh, was, absolutely, uh, yeah. No, I'm very... Like, someone actually said to me, you must get sick of hearing this. I was like, no, don't. No, keep going. <laughs> Please. Um, yeah, yeah, Gary, they, they say never meet your heroes. <laughs> but you know what? Al Moore introduced me to his son Harry. We've had Harry on the podcast a couple of oh, times with his little yeah. voice notes. I didn't even and, see that um, there. It shows you like the only yeah. people I didn't even see. They say don't meet your heroes, but I thought it went well. Like I was a little shy at first, <laughs> but I didn't embarrass myself or anything. So I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? No, he, no, Harry's great. Great kid, great kid. Um, he wanted. He was talking about. He's he's realistic, but he just wanted a sort of. You'd love to to score an equaliser or take the lead mm. and I was like oh you want your White Hart Lane moment because mm-hmm. people these young haven't had their White Hart Lane moment you know yeah. what I mean? um, some of the flags loads of new flags you got um, who owns the home and away one I was just asking one of the lads about that actually uh, worst is, flag is, ever is this a rings end flag I, I'm not sure who I said it to but it's shocking Actually, yeah, I just got a text here now. This is a uh, Milner staff, Sean Condren, oh, no. Kieran, Matty, Carl Kearns, James oh, Lowe, no. young young Dan, Booker, and Dean. So the tif- the Tifty Splinter Cell, and that's Alf Stewart, a uh, character in Home and Away, on the front. I think it's a cracker. Oh man, I, like, I'll be honest, I had no idea who the fucker was. I was looking at it I was like is is that Tommy Tarmy? I know I recognised him I, d- I thought it was Tommy Tarmy at first I was like he looks great I didn't know his name but I did <sighs> recognise him I, I'll be honest I looked at it and I goes no idea <laughs> I was like that's shit no. and I think I said it to the staff the staff's cousin and he was really offended and I was like uh oh they made that <laughs> yeah. 
But I didn't get it. I, I'll be honest, I put my hands up and I had no idea who it was. I, I thought it was Michael Caine at one stage. Michael Caine. So I, I put my hands up and say, I don't know. I was like, why is, why is the Italian job when there's Yeah, flag? I was like, why is fucking uh, your man in the boat wreck from Batman on your, on your flag? <laughs> That's so funny, we had the complete opposite reaction to the uh, flag. Yeah. Um, I met um, Alan Honeyman, who... Um, I did, I had a good chat with him in the queue yeah. as well. As we've been saying, he's gone back and listened to, to episode one, the podcast, from the beginning. He unveiled his uh, Hoops Overseas supporter oh, club flag. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I think I saw it hanging as well in the, in the ground. Um, just just some general observations. Oh, yeah, also, Mooner's that. Legend. His first ever European trip. They all surprised him for his birthday. Ah, brilliant. Excellent. Most of the, loads of family was there. It's brilliant. It really was a legend of a blow. I'll tell you what, some of the stories, I can't, I can't even say them on, on the air. <laughs> Just a funny, funny family. Yeah. Oh, man. Brilliant. Great to see him as well. Good crack. Had a good chat with him at Foley's on the Wednesday night, which was nuts, by the way. Foley's was rammed because people just, the crowds are bulging and gathering as the night went on flights were coming in Wednesday night great night that's when I nearly had a, a little row with the Chufi it was kind of dying a bit when I arrived and then like you say uh, it, it it built up again towards the night um, like you obviously brought your family the amount of young people on this trip it was deadly honestly I'm, I'm fucked now because I have to bring them everywhere unless it's a podcast trip which I'm going to invent now podcast <laughs> trip um, they had a ball man they really did and I was thinking I was hoping that they, they probably, might probably be a little bit idle at times I can just see you recruiting me to let them down you elbowing me <laughs> yeah yeah it, right it. prof isn't this a podcast trip say it prof like you aren't going um, they had loads of people to play with and they all made friends as well like it was deadly it really was Moya is in that little mob that are all doing the oh, Riley's little crew Riley's little ringleader yeah um, so Abby with uh, Abby Glenn Dunn's daughter, daughter Lexi Danielle's daughter, daughter sorry, yeah. yeah so big shout out to all them they're all Rovers pals now it's brilliant and mm. they'll never forget it so many female supporters as well staggering the, the amount I mean obviously you got 1200 people so there will be a higher proportion but it was it was very noticeable just a huge amount of women went on this do you know what was nuts trip. though you'd always see everybody on away trips you see everyone but this one, like the likes of Bill Gleason and his family went. Did you see Bill? Did I see Bill? I didn't see um, Bill once. I was supposed to meet up with him. No, I did. I did. I just him. forgot that he kind of existed. Yeah, he was I, going. You I know was what I mean? Doing yeah. Um, there was loads of people. Sean Cook and James Cook were there. The Cooks were there. I had no idea. I didn't even bump into them. So Neither, the, no, loads of people. Loads I didn't meet. of people. Even though, like I'm saying, uh, dozens of people came up to me about the podcast, was, mm. which is great. But then again. <laughs> There's so many who you just you just didn't run into. Yeah. Even though we're all gathered around Faldi's well, we did the ticket exchange and all that. That was done between uh twelve and, and half three, wasn't yep. it? So Some that, mob. that was that was a huge mob. So you you would kinda you'd walk around there and you'd kinda have the smile and the nod to people. But yeah. Somebody who we just you never met for whatever yeah. reason but I, then um I got up I think we got there at about two. So we went in, had some grub, and just we could hear it before we approached. You could hear the bellow and the singing of the crowd. But um, honestly, it's one of the funniest things I've ever been involved with with a Rovers away day. A marathon, right? There's a thousand of us in the street. <laughs> yeah, this is great. And a marathon 
what comes down. The worst thing you could have imagined, right? So everyone's walking through, everyone's getting high fives, and the kids went in and got toilet roll, and they were doing finish lines. <laughs> so everyone was running through going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then other fellas had, they were, someone set up a table. I didn't see the toilet roll. Someone then. set up a table and put beers on it for a water station. So they were handing them out to people. People were drinking them going, boy. It was fucking brilliant. And the reaction to them was all brilliant, except yeah. one woman, right? Anyone that was going through on bikes, um, they were they were kind of just going. Oh, yeah. We weren't there was no rudeness at all. But some woman was coming through, and we were going. Yeah, come on, two fingers up in the air, cycling with no hands at everyone, just going left, right, going fuck you, fuck you, for no reason, for no reason whatsoever. Some woman fell off her bike. She got so terrified by the mob, she just drove into a pole. <laughs> everyone was like, yeah, but she was actually hurt, so we had to help her up. Jeez. It was the funniest thing ever. I swear to God. The reaction of people was just brilliant. I, I say this every year, don't I? Uh, the locals' reaction to us in their country, it's always my highlight. Of the trip. Uh, Remember Tobias on the train in Norway <laughs> tweeting about us? <laughs> who are, was it? Who yeah. are these guys or whatever <laughs> I was giving out about us? I just remember being on the tram in Sweden as well. Um, no, no, sorry, it wasn't a tram. No, the train. We had our own train on, in we Sweden. We walked. Remember? We had the police escort through the train station. And then uh, as you as you entered and went down, all you could hear was the echo. Yeah. Norway was the tram. Yeah. I remember the locals just being like, what? <laughs> what is this? Just. Um, also flags, we had Zinedine McCann. Um, Yay or nay? Why not? But just, are we getting to the point now where we're a bit like the Ole? Oh, I know you'd say it. That's, I'll be honest, that's the first thing I thought of when I looked at fucking Michael Caine. No, no, no! I'm giving the thumbs up to the Michael Caine, oh. even though it's not Michael Caine. Okay, I'm gonna blame my lack of knowledge <laughs> on Australian soaps for this one, right? <laughs> yeah. So, okay, I apologise to the lads, but no, oh. I think it's cool. I think we've got new flags. I think they're funny. They're clever. Um, although I just don't ever want to become the old AO Labour kid. It, it's um, we're, we were nearly creeping in there. We were nearly creeping yeah. in there. There was flags hanging everywhere before the march. Hanging off bridges. Yeah, the Tifty's flag got to, yeah. got to go to old Aaron. But you know what I'm saying that, right? When you were talking about being the old AO Labour guy and singing the babies and stuff, I kind of got that vibe when the marathon runners were going through and then I was thinking, mm. I need to switch this up here. And mm. when your one fell and fell off our bike, everyone was like, ah! <laughs> I was like, there we go. <laughs> We're not, we're not too, we're not goody goodies here. We were looking around, and it's like if I see one horse's head costume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, at one stage, a boat went by. Oh uh, yeah, whenever they went, no, the rowers weren't they? Yeah. Whenever I the row, row. Like they got a lot of attention. <laughs> oh, there was here the march. Yeah. Actually, are you, did you get to the march yet? Well, before we get to the march, just you know, it kind of reminded me of it reminded me of Ring's End, but when we won the cup final. That whole little <sighs> gathering in the in carnival the, atmosphere in the center, oh, yeah, it was brilliant. It really was. So the marriage, it's one of those days where you're just kind of like, there's so much happening. I mm. want to soak it all in. I want to remember this. Oh man, it was so good. But honestly, the marriage, right? I wasn't gonna do it at first because I thought the kids might be able, but everyone was doing it, and they were like, "Let's do it, let's do it." I was like, "Okay, well, I'm up for it." Like it's, I was just making sure they were alright. It was nuts, man, nuts. It was all scattered at first, but then we all stopped in this little laneway at the like about a kilometre in and flares smoke bombs everything everyone jumping it was nuts it was nuts it was like something else. I've never seen that like it Cra- everybody crammed in it was insane right brilliant 
I'll never ever forget it as long as I live. But as we kind of got through, we, we were getting led into a forest, and I was like, "This is a trap." <laughs> I was like, "Maloney, like oh, my hay fever is kicking up here. I can't, I can't <laughs> go in there." But we walked down, and um, we got <laughs> we got to this like river, and there was people living on boats, and every so often we'd see someone on the boat and uh, this this we were we were saying to the old lad, jump jump to the old man on the boat and his kids were out giving us the fingers and all going fuck you fuck you <laughs> and anyone who was on a bridge all the kids were going jump jump but honestly the march was nuts we got to this square and Davey did his thing oh I saw the video of that yeah ah absolutely. I loved your little story about Shane McNevin he missed the march then he turned up <laughs> he turned halfway up on a Halfway through on an orange push bike. So we're all bike. marching and then he just rocks up on an orange push bike. I was like, I'm not even going to ask. <laughs> Jump on in there and march with us. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't do the march because I just thought, I was kind of similar to Maloney. I was like, ah, an hour. I'm just get a tram. It flew in. It flew in. It really did. Probably would have flown absolutely in. eaten alive by some sort of creatures as well. I'm still scratching. I ended up, it wasn't intentional. I was just kind of hanging out with Mick McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. And... And then I ended up with all the elder statesmen, yeah, and I was like, "Am I, am, am I one of these now?" <laughs> Honorary elder man, and somehow the task fell upon me to get all these gentlemen to the ground. So I'm there looking at my phone, Google Maps, and trying to get us to the tram station and all this because mm. no, no taxis were coming at all. It, nah, was, it was impossible. I didn't see a taxi. I, I don't think I saw a taxi once. They're I can't all, even think of them. I think I saw people getting out of them. They were all booked up. And Car Cairns was telling me he got an Uber. So um, um, yeah, so eventually we found the tram station and we got on sniffer dogs. Um, so it was a tram to a bus. So yeah. we were trying to get the right one, and Mick McCarthy was cracking me up <laughs> on this walk. Here. He was in fine form <laughs> because someone pointed out that remember on the was it the Thursday, all those flights were cancelled above French airspace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four hundred twenty of them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, ever since ever since someone said that, Mick was just giving out. He was just like, oh, Jesus, have you any good news? <laughs> and then we'd meet a Ghent fan and he'd be like saying, I was like, oh, no, I don't go to the game. I'm not going today, but yeah, I'm a fan. And I was like, oh, have you any good news? <laughs> there was a brilliant and he, one. There. And he just started slagging him. Like, we're all the bits laughing at him. Uh, when, you, when you're on the end of Mick's tongue lashing, it's, it's really funny. We were, all, we were on the bus home to the airport, so he was going to Eindhoven with us. And the bus took a swerve and some woman fell on him. And she was on him like, and he goes, they named that boy or that drink. <laughs> <laughs> At one stage before we left, uh, he was just hanging around with um, some Ghent fans. It was like four or five of them. And he kept trying to promote the podcast. He was like, Carl, what's the name of it? Tell them. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, t- tell from these and are they going to listen to our radio? They're just like, okay, thank you. It's <laughs> yeah. gone. See you later. Yeah, and apparently I was supposed to send it to them and all this, even though I didn't have the numbers. Uh, good old Mick, he made the papers as, as, as usual, Gar. The old Standard, me- the yeah. media Standard. whore. Yeah. I suppose he stands out with his, uh, his green costume. Uh, he was interviewed. So, yeah. So we ended up kind of, <clears throat> once we got on that bus, the next stop, everyone else seemed to get on. And it was like the Connollys and Maloney and yeah. Nolly and they were all on that bus and the, the sing-songs were gone. So we, not as dramatic as your march, but it was... I would have loved to have been on it. It though, was you know? great crack. Totally different uh, yeah. aspect of it. Like, inside the stadium, prof, um, sniffer dogs, pyro dogs, whatever they were, um, they got a hold of all our bags and then we ended up going in and... 
got to the ticket bonbon section where you buy your bonbons or your coupons and I bought like 10 coupons got the kids drinks got beer sat down with her here you go here's beer lovely someone walked by and goes you know they're not alcoholic I was just like oh. <laughs> why'd you even tell me just let me let me live <laughs> just let me live just in the let Nile. me live let me be in why the didn't you tell me <laughs> let me be in it yeah stunning stunning stadium my god yeah brilliant all the corporate boxes tellies in each one of them Everywhere, just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. That thing. ten minutes before kickoff, that's up there was some of my best memories. Cause that tune that they were playing, was it, it the one? That one, wasn't it? It ended up backfiring because stereo love. That was their goal celebration. Yeah, no, the Zombie Nation one was. Yeah, yeah, Zombie Nation. The it was it was just cool how we all spontaneously just started singing that. But honestly, if you put and if if Rovers are in that mood. And you yeah. put on some sort of dance music. We're on it. You know what I mean? It's it's like the Commember in Water for the Cody Minogue music. Yeah. Accidentally came on for two That's seconds. That's still one of my favourite moments on the way trip. It was just <laughs> yeah. so spontaneous. Um, there, I, did, I didn't get a, a full attendance on this, did you? But um, I think it was just under nine or nine and a half, maybe. They sold 8,000 tickets. And the first half, like the stadium was empty. Mm. And then the second half, they poured in. They poured into our Roy, didn't they? Yeah. Notice that. So obviously the kickoff time killed it for them. Uh, their so-called ultras, I thought they were poor. They started flashing <coughs> their phones, found their torches in their phones. At us. <laughs> yeah. it's like, lads, come on, man. Yeah. Um, um, I thought their little single section was was decent, but yeah, yeah they were the doing phone, the they were doing the jumpy, thing. the jumpy thing. Where you jump backwards. My my missus was like, "Why are they turning their back on the game?" <laughs> I was like, "I'm not even getting into this. I've an alcoholic beer in my hand. Don't don't annoy me." Um, I had a front row seat gear of the Chris McCann song. Oh, yes. Very good so tune. So I was like. Kieran Hendrick claims this one. Very, very proud of it. He said he made it up. That should be mm-hmm. interesting if he did or not. Find out now if the Rings End squad. He may have, but all I got was Stafford's cousin's voice in my ear for 70 minutes <laughs> singing about Chris McCann. That's, <laughs> that was my experience of Ghent. So just so all you know, <laughs> we have to actually get the words out because a certain. Uh, Bally Fairman native was given out <clears throat> saying that we shouldn't be singing it but he had a point to a certain extent so it starts off to She's Electric which you would have heard of possibly the start of the show so it's She's Electric by Oasis and it goes um, so it starts off he's the reason we're playing conference league this season he's what he's already won us 3 million I think he's already won us 3 million he's Chris McCann deadly song Deadly song. If that gets going, Sligo, it's gonna pop in Sligo. It's a deadly song, but it's a very tongue and cheek song. Yeah. And like, there's a thousand of us in Gens trying to get behind the team. Yeah. So I can actually, I can see the argument. Yeah, oh, I do but, definitely. Yeah. But the problem wasn't the song. The problem was the two early goals, knocked the stuffing out of us. Yeah. Knocked the stuffing out of the players and the fans mm. in the ground. I was shit buzz. We it thought was a, we it might. Was a it's all about the, you know, edging yourself towards something special, and it just. It didn't materialise because of the, because of the early goal, but the green and white prof, green and white looks great, doesn't it? The the kit. That's is, that's definitely the first time, isn't it? Have we worn the black shirt all four away games? Oh, good I show, could be wrong, but that. Show. This is a this is a Harry star. This is mm. Harry's uh, neck of the woods. Am I right? I think so. This is his one. He does jersey stats. We'll talk about the goals anyway. But the four, little Cullian boy, he swung a ball in. Oh no! Hang on. Scoopy, there's no way we wore the black jersey in Scoopy because we won that game. 
I'm thinking of Gaffney. I'm thinking of Gaffney cutting in and sco- That must be neither. Yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah. You're right. That must be neither right. white or green and white hoops. Um, yeah. So the first goal, little Korean by a little swinger in a lovely, lovely ball in from him, and I think it kind of fluffed. Someone took it down and just laid off, and then the four point five million man from Mechelen. Great finish. Super finish, and you just it, like it was a good finish. There's nothing you can say about it. We didn't really defend it terribly. It's a good finish. Yeah. What can you do? 18 minutes then um, this fella who scored the two goals is that the 17 year old or was that the 17 year old got two assists Fofana was he the captain captain was the fellow who got two goals uh, yeah. so he played for Norwich um, he he was brilliant in the middle a little bit stuffed but yeah. he was brilliant he, kind of, he stood out for me yeah, yeah he was really really good so 18 minutes and Daniel Cleary as good as he's been he seems to think that he can, he's a winger that can dribble anywhere on the pitch He's done it against, I think it's your gardens. I think he did it against Ludogrets. He's done it a couple of times where he's taken too much out of the ball. He's a great player. Really good centre half. But he's taken far too much out of the ball at times. And that caused, that killed the game. Ultimately, it did kill the game. Well, he slipped. Ah, uh, but he, no, he it's, was trying to... He, it, like, but it's not like he dribbled into him. Yeah, but he, why would you mess around in your own box like that? He was messing around. Uh, afterwards, Brazzer took responsibility for it. Says, I asked the team to play that way. <sighs> But, listen, um, but he's done it a couple of times where he's kind of lost his foot maybe it's his footwear I don't know mm. trying to beat defenders trying to beat strikers as a defender I don't think we should take that chance so um, it was unfortunate but an absolute cracker what a finish it was it was very frustrating Just popped to, up to go 2-0 down in 20 minutes from our own from our own doing yeah scissor trying kick trying to play out the back buried from the scissor kick and yeah, the, the atmosphere the kind of died then didn't it it was. I wouldn't say it was dead after the first goal, but it was. It went flat after the first goal, yeah. and then the second one was like ah. Oh. Um, and then that's when I realised, Gareth, that my three-game European away unbeaten run was under serious threat here. Yeah. Because my last three was uh, Sweden away, Norway away, and uh, Malta away, all draws. So prof, prof yeah. has ruined it. Media watch. We had Turner, our resident. I don't know what to call him. Head case, uh, only person at home. He said the BT commentator is Colin Finn, a prolific goal scorer. Who? Come on. <laughs> um, people will. We, we might talk about this more later, but I got I got a lot of people saying to me they're not that good, and then I got a few people saying they're possibly the best team we've played so far. Yeah. Maybe the answer is somewhere in between. There's I, levels I, here and they were a level above, let's be honest. I don't think we had any real chance in the first half. I'm trying to think back to anything we did in front of their goal. No, they they almost scored in the first three minutes as well. Yeah. They hit the bar, but um, I think I just think Ludogretz, French Varus and Ghent, I think they're all at similar levels. Now, you might argue French Varus were the best team we played. They tonked us. Yeah. You might say Ludogretz are the weaker of the three, but then they go on and beat Roma. I think Ghent I think Ghent are a really good team I don't think they even had to be at their best at all to they, did, they didn't get out of second gear did they? No I thought at the time I, thought I took a lot of positives out of it but they didn't really get out of second gear you know um, there's not much else to talk about the first half prof. it was frustrating um, second half we had McCann whipped at half time I thought it was an injury apparently it wasn't so he got the whippage yeah we all kind of thought maybe it's an injury but um, maybe Brad was sick of the song yeah, yeah. Uh, whipped them off. We um, good, we good chances though. We'd Watts O'Neill and Gaffney on effort to goal. The Gaffney volley was unbelievable. The technique for that yeah. was nuts. I was watching the highlights back today, just to kind of. Uh, I think it was ever going in. Refreshed yeah. the memory, and he he connected with this really well. Perfect connection, like really really good. Just to know on the atmosphere, actually, 
you know what pissed me? I pissed off Stafford's cousin. He he kept shouting, "Turn it off, you cowards!" <laughs> the piped-in drumming. This was wrecking my head. Well, on the, over the PA. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, let me hear what I'm actually experiencing yeah, in the yeah. ground. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I want to. I want to experience everything. Yeah. He has round from Drada. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't him. But um, every time I hear someone give out, that's all I can think of. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so you mentioned the Gaffney shot there. Watson O'Neill's sh- shots, I don't think they trouble the keeper no, too, too much, much. did they? Um, but we were getting back into the game, which was another. The Jack shot as well, don't forget the one that Jack just I wh- think that whisked wide. I think, I'm not sure if that was before or after the third goal. Mm. But we were coming back into the game, and then they hit us with this third goal, which is. And of course, we're all behind it. And the moment he hits it, it was like, that's in. Boom. I was talking to Derek Kenny after this on the bus and he was saying he reckons it popped up and I watched it 10-20 times. That didn't pop up. Now, Gary O'Neill possibly could have torn... I don't know, he kind of... I don't know, maybe he, he his back was torn but then again, he didn't follow his runner. But listen, I'm not, I'm not placing blame here on anyone. It was an absolute screamer who he took he took time on the edge of the box. All he, he just popped into the top corner. Simple. He three three sh- super strikes from outside the outside the box. They, did they ever really carve us open? This one was like right on the the edge of the mm. box. I think the first one might have been just inside. But either way, man, there were but three great strikes. He made it look so effortless. <sighs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. He's a good little player as well. He'll uh, he'll be big for them now in the in the in the, in the coming games. Yeah, so, so that was the third one, and it was just like ugh. the closest we were, became. We we're kind of getting into it, weren't we? Yeah, but the closest became was the Jack one that you mentioned. He yeah. curled; it. it was just over the bar, and then you had the one where Gaffney's one on one. Someone goes down injured. Oh, Green! Their keeper kicks it off their own player. Yeah, and Gaffney or Greener takes advantage, sets up Gaffney, who uh, hits it straight at the goalkeeper. People are saying it would have been disallowed anyway, but why? No, it wouldn't have been. I don't think so. But then we we had um. No, but why? Gak- would it, why would it be disallowed? Like no, the keeper just no kicked off his own player, no and I heard whatsoever. booing and all. You don't like, have to put the ball out. That's a choice. No. Um, I thought the one on Gaffney scores those every other week. That's the thing. That's what's really yeah. frustrating. And then you know? the Justin one where he's through on goal, and it's saved at the near post. Yeah, no much so. he, could, he couldn't do anything else. Greener wasn't an option. Plus Ferruja went on an amazing run. Unbelievable! I thought he was gonna have a pop, yeah. but he was unfortunate as well. Yeah, jo- um, Ferruja has been very good actually the last few weeks. I'm. Um, we'll move on to him in a while actually. Yeah. So we were we would have been well worth a couple of goals, and it would have been nice because we were shooting into the, that end where we were. So it would have been nice to go home having having seen a goal and celebrate a goal, hmm. but uh, wasn't to be. We move on um, to some reaction, Prof. Um, Ghent manager. Congratulations to fans of Shamrock Rovers, said, oh, here we go, Van Heisenbroek, uh, after the game. They stayed here yesterday again, behaving themselves fantastically, enjoying themselves, enjoying ourselves, prof, and create no problems at all. So I really want to appreciate the way that they're coming to Belgium, an example for everybody, and congratulations, they're here with a thousand plus people. It's a solid team, added Van Heisenbroek on his on his opponents. I'm now aware of the fact that when we go over there, it'll be a difficult game, and New Gardens won against Mould. We are a good team. We played against them. And if you see your gardens could not win in Ireland, it shows the quality of Shamrock Rovers. And Brad's, I said, the second goal is something that uh, that is on me. I ask the players to play that way in every game. I take responsibility for that. 
Dan is one of the best passing centre halves we have, but he's probably the best in the country. It's very, very rare you see a mistake like that. Unfortunately, he slipped, and at this level, you don't get away with it. But I asked the players to play that way and be brave, and we don't give him more options off the ball. We didn't. Okay, the slip. I didn't really. Was it a slip? Oh, it was. A slip. Okay, okay. Yeah. I just thought he was being a bit silly. But, um, yeah, no, we got punished. He slipped and we got punished. We must make sure we improve and cut out the mistakes at this level because nine times out of ten, you get punished, and we certainly did. Um, you don't give teams a leg up like that in 10, 15 minutes. So, you Gardens with some mental scenes in their home stadium as well. 90 <laughs> minute finish. Uh, they beat Mole Tree too, and uh, straight into the fans invading the pitch. Did you see the Was it, was it your garden and Gothenburg? They had a game, or it might have been AIK. Yeah, where the there fans. Was like, there was a Swedish league game on, and the camera just panned between the two fans with the pyro. I think one was red and one was blue. Did you see the blue, white, and yellow one? Oh, it was mental. Oh my god, man. Unbelievable. Deadly stuff. So but, uh, that's our media reaction. Um, Paddy McGrath wants it to be put on record that Kieran Stafford is now 10 European games without an away win. Oh my god. We're, we're, we're racking them up here, prof. And we know Gary Armstrong is still uh, win this as well. Um, I'm, I always quite enjoyed the foreign pronunciations of Rovers and their players and stuff. <laughs> Ferrugia was butchered, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I remember in, in Iceland they called uh, Bradzer Bradley Stephen. Bradley Stephen, yeah. And uh, just when they just when they say Shamrock Rovers or whatever, <laughs> is there is, was there a French? Uh, twang to it but um, also maybe laugh no no relation to the Rovers but just the, the elevator in my B&B <laughs> just maybe laugh every time because the woman announcing the floor is sound concerned so it was like level one I was like floor two <laughs> she's like you're not going there are you <laughs> yeah. just every time maybe laugh um, yeah, so, so the tours of the night, probably all went back. Uh, the shuttle buses straight back to Foley's and the Celtic Towers, and uh, went back, had a couple of drinks, some great chats with some great hoops, and um, yeah, just just chewing the fat and enjoying the night and enjoying taking it all in. Fair enough, we lost three now, but taking it all in for what we're actually at one stage. I just sat there, looked around, and goes, "Whole family are there. All the lads are there that we've grew up with, pretty much in in the Rovers uh, tradition." And you're looking around, like everyone's here. We're in the group stages of the Conference League. Like it's not yeah. that bad of a thing that we lost. So you just soak it all up and realize what's going on because it might. You never know when it happens again. Yeah. Ah, great trip. Yeah. We're getting home anyway. Getting home was grand. So we got up at eight o'clock. Got some breakfast. Went to the bus station. Once again, buses over there are nuts. They're just brilliant. So we walked a kilometer to the bus station. Dunster was there. Mick McCarthy jumped on the bus to Eindhoven. Took us two hours straight there. Eindhoven bus station went in got some burgers and into the middle of the town came back home in an hour and a half brilliant excellent totally recommend it Eindhoven's nice. a great city as well you uh, prof <laughs> Aquaman I did something a bit different um, I'm pretty sure I'm the only Huber who got the Eurostar that is the the tunnel train uh, just something I've always wanted to do the thoughts of it just fucking freaked me out man <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of how it was built. I know, yeah. How did you even put it there? Well, if you actually look at the map, it, I don't know what the actual kilometres is, where how, how long you're under the sea. Because I kept trying to look at my Google map and it just kept dipping out of 
reception and I was annoyed by that because I wanted to track where I was I'm thinking of maintenance but, uh, and how yeah. how like I, there's just a lot popped into my head when, when I was because I was on the yeah. I was on the plane and I was like I'm in the air Prof's under the sea yeah. this is fucked up yeah so that was that was um yeah I got the bus from Ghent to Brussels and then Brussels to London so it was a couple of hours and uh, hold on so you you got the bus to Brussels yep. again an yep. hour, mm-hmm. and then Brussels to Brussels to London, St Pancras. So the flight. So it's a direct train. So you got a flight to London. Got Brussels. a flight from London to. But oh, from yeah. Brussels home, Brussels home to London, you got a flight. Yeah. Right, and then you got the train to London, and then mm-hmm. a bit of small, and then home to Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so we're gonna move on, Prof. Great, great trip. And honestly, if you're on the like Ray Whelan said before, don't don't let it pass you, boy. If you're on the fence, like Ray, Ray was obviously has his meet his duties. Ray jumped fucking and paid a hundred quid in a taxi just to be with Rovers fans. Do you know what I mean? Because he was staying a little bit away from the place. Like, just do it, do it. If you can do it, do it. Yeah. So our next interview is um, with John Kyo. He was uh, a right back for us, who played for us for ten years. Uh, late fifties and much of the of the sixties, he won five FBI cups with us. And uh, I ended up meeting him at a game. Um, it was sometime in the summer. Um, because I was looking into people who had played against that Bulgarian team in nineteen sixty two, and obviously not easy to find whose players still alive from that game. I think one of the only other ones was Frank O'Neill. So I was kind of looking into could I interview him. Unfortunately, he um, he's suffering from Alzheimer's at the moment, so mm. his his memory isn't the best. But it's one of those with Alzheimer's. Obviously, I've got personal experience of it, where your memories of certain things are very vivid. And as his son said, he probably won't you won't remember this conversation tomorrow, but he could tell you in detail about some Robbers game from mm. 1968. So it's it's selective memory like yeah. that. Palomine, we got a similar. A situation said that there was always real moments of clarity is the way he said it yeah yeah and he said to be really vivid so yeah so I got talking to his son and um, I was aware of this story um, I'd read it before about how he won his own one and only Ireland cap in 1966 against West Germany and it's a bizarre story and he said I recorded an interview with me da I can't remember when he did this now but and so he got it. He wanted to get it on record. And so, so this is his son interviewing him, and it's about fifteen minutes long. One of the craziest stories I've ever heard about how John Kell won his only cap for Ireland in '66. kicking a football around the field from the age of five or six. I was introduced to, in, in, in 1946, when I was six years of age, my father went to England to work. There was, there was no work in Ireland, and he went to England. And uh, he came home one year, about probably 60, 46 or 47. He brought me a present. What was it? A football. A leather football, which only 
the League of Ireland teams played with are the junior teams in, in, in Ireland, but the kids would no kids would have a, a letter football. From that day on, in the area that I lived, everybody, everybody wanted to be my pal because I had a letter football. And that's a fact. And, and that was it. And then when I was uh, eight or nine, we moved house uh, from Fingers Bridge where I lived and we went half a mile up the road to new houses that were being built. My mother uh, had got one of the new houses. Of course, when I went up there, there was the house, there was a big park in front of the houses, and you played, you'd come home from school every day, and went down in the park and you were playing football. 11 aside, 15 aside, 5 aside, it made no difference. Whoever was there, there was a letter football. Everybody wanted to play in the letter football. If you didn't play in, in, in with the letter football, uh, you were playing on the street with 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 a with a tennis ball maybe or something like that. Yeah. I used to get up very early. I was in work about five and half past five in the morning. Done my day's work and finished that. Could have finished maybe 10 or 11. And uh, I worked in Merville Dairies, uh, delivered milk. Merville Dairy is, um, was, was uh, the biggest dairy in, in Dublin. And uh, it was located in, uh, in the Finglas area where I lived. Like 90% of people who lived in in Finglas, worked at Merrill Daly, so it was, it was great employers. Uh, I, I, I went and I, I was back home and all by around 10 o'clock. But I had to go into town, I went into town, done my business, and got back home sometime around 3 o'clock, half 3 in the afternoon. Eileen was all excited, a bit upset and I said what's wrong what's wrong she said it's Tommy she said there's a, there's a telegram here it's it's addressed to you I don't know what's in it though and I said okay well let's have a look I opened it up and the telegram read to John Kyo and Oakwood Avenue Glass and Evan be at Daly Mount Park at 6.30 this evening with your boots and shin guards only Signed Captain Tom Scully, Secretary of Shamrock Rovers Football Club. The reason I I got it when Theo Foley indicators that he wasn't sure whether he would get through the whole game or not. The manager of the team said, well, we, we need someone to take his place. You know, the, the, the subs, the two or three uh, subs that they had, none of them played as a full back, number one. And number two, every team at that stage uh, were entitled to 11 players on the pitch and two or three subs on the bench in case anybody gets injured. So they were afraid that he might, at some part of the match, um, 
go down with with that anchoring. The, the cap, captain Tom, Tom Scully, who was who was the secretary of uh, Shamrock Rovers, uh, would have been on the, com the, the the committee at that time at that time, who actually selected the group of players that were going to play in every international match. It wasn't the manager who who, who indicated who he wanted, and. Um, Without sounding boastful, probably I was the best right back in the League of Ireland at that time. And as a result, and I was the one that had, they decided that if Theo Foley went down injured and had to come off, I'd, I would just go into his, into his place. In a panic, then, how am I going to get my boots? I've no boots, they're over the ground. And I said, There's only one thing to do, I've got to make an effort. I've got, I just can't miss this. And I jumped into the car and I went right across the city. I lived in Finglas, they were in Glenmalure Park, which was a driving. I don't know, I don't know how long it took me to get there, but I got there. The place was closed up as it would be and I had to pu I pulled the car right up to the edge of the of um, of, of the wall where the turnstiles were for people when you'd be going into the matches. I climbed up onto the wall down the other side in and the, the, naturally the door uh, the, the, the dressing room doors there were closed and uh, the place was empty it was no one around i put my foot to the door in, in, in the dressing room i got in went in grabbed my boots pair of shin guards back there again pulled the door closed as best i could and i had to get back in into the car and back to daniel park and i got into daniel park about 6 30 and the match kickoff was at seven i went in and and uh, the, the, all the players were there. John Fulham, who was a teammate, he was he was there. And I think Frank O'Neill might have been there. That uh, and that would have been there as well. Maybe Ronnie Nolan uh, would have been in the squad. They were they were all great. They were all international players from before, you know. And here was I uh, coming in with my boots under my arm, and the great Jackie Carey, who was the manager of the team, turned me and said, "Yes." Can I help you? And I said, yeah, I have a telegram here. I was told to be here at 6.30 or whatever. And he said, oh, right. And uh, he said, right, get, yeah, get stripped, get the jerseys over there. So it transpired, he said, 11 guys went down onto the pitch. And there was, I can't remember whether it was two or three subs, but John Fulham was a teammate of mine and uh, John was a sub on the bench and I was a sub on the bench. The match was, was on seven minutes. Was a, the match was only on seven minutes. The right back of the Irish team, Theo Foley, went down, twisted his ankle and had to be carried off. Jackie Carey turned to John Foley and said, Johnny, get, get yourself stripped. You're going on. And John Fulham said, no, Mr. 
Kerry. You know, John is the fullback. He plays right back for us, meaning Shamrock Rovers. And Kerry said, oh, okay, you, you get stripped, John. Put on the jersey. And here I was sitting. I had my boots on me. I had my stockings on me, I had my knicks on me, and I had a, a tracksuit top on me. John Fulham took the jersey that he had on him off and gave it to me. And I jogged, I jogged there onto the pitch and I played him the match. I, I, I never forgot what John Fulham done that day. Noel Cantor was the captain of the Irish team and he played for Manchester United at the time. And um, Charlie Hurley was the centre half on the team and uh, I said he played for Sunderland. And they, these were folk heroes, these were superstars to the Irish public, you know. And then we all went back to the Gresham Hotel and we had a meal and everything was great and the lads were drinking. I said, I was leaving, I was going. Uh, it, was, it was half ten or eleven o'clock. The likes of uh, Charlie Hurley and Cantwell, and they were staying in the Gresham. And I said, I was going away, and uh, Charlie Hurley was sitting there. He said, Are you going, John? And I said, Yes, I am. And he said, Come here, I want to, I want to talk. And this is truthful uh, what he said. He said, John, you've done very well today. You played very well. You're going away with your head held high. You didn't let anybody down today. You're doing great. But he says, you may never get another cap because of the way the selections picked up. Once you were playing in England, you were picked. That was it. And I said, well, I don't mind. I don't mind, I said, because now I have two caps. And he said, did you play before? And I said, no, but I have a scuba cap. I always remember because he burst out laughing, you know. And that was it. We shook hands and I walked out of the dressing room. It was, a, it was an extraordinary situation because my father, who had been a great supporter of me from when I was a kid, wasn't even at the match because no, nobody had time to, to say John is going to be playing or anything like that. He, was never, he wasn't at the match. I never... That was that was it. But uh, down down through my life, I'd say my father was always very great to me. We got to football. He kept me on the straight and narrow, and we'd smoke. And you, you don't if you smoke, you you'll never be a footballer if you smoke. That's that the thing, you know. And drinking would be the same. I uh, I think I was twenty seven before I had an alcoholic drink. But my father was a great encouragement to me playing football. I was 26 years of age and it was the pinnacle. And still, I never said to myself, well, I've really, I've really done it now, I've reached the top. That sort of thing, that never... To me, it was just another match. You know what I mean? I didn't have any um, plans or I didn't have dreams of playing for Ireland. You know what I mean? And... and, and and even when I got the school by cap and the circumstances under which I got it, the fact that I was 
the unique fact that I was captain of Stella Marys on the 14, 15, 16 and 17 and then went down to, 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 to manage Rovers minor team and then at 20, I was only about 22 and I was made captain of Shannon Rovers. I had, there's a photograph in 1967 with me holding up the cup in the stand in Dalymount Park and all the players behind me and you've, you've seen this. It just seems to have passed by. I never ever looked on myself as being, we say, an exceptional player. But when I think back now of the honours I got and the teams I played, and why did they, why at 22 years of age did they make me that day in Dalymount Park in a friendly match against Manchester United that we have a photograph at home to prove uh, and I was shaking hands with Dennis Law and Pip being the referee standing there beside us. I was captain of that. That just sat on my shoulders like a nice hot pad. Never changed my personality. It never, it, well, when I think back, I can't ever remember taking or doing any taking advantage of being the captain of Sherlock Rovers. That was it, basically. That's, that's, that's the story of the day I got my international cap. Yeah, so that was John and some some nice stories there. But I love the all the old time stories we're talking about getting from one area of the city to to Glenmalure, and they don't even know how long it took. They just they end up getting there. You know, some great stuff from. I just never to break into your own stadium to get a pair of boots <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to yeah. play for Ireland, just for the chance, just for the chance of being on the bench, not knowing you. It was a different world back then. Not knowing it? you'd come on, and uh, I love the was the Johnny Fulham. If not for him. Tell him the the trainer. No, he's he plays there. <laughs> Otherwise, he wouldn't have the manager wouldn't have known him. Um, kind of goes back to your conversation about um, was it Barry Maguire? Barry Maguire who got the hat trick and yeah, and not even knowing who he was. So <laughs> yeah, so great stuff again, Prof. Um, right, so Prof, we were knocked out the FAI Cup quarterfinals, three one defeat after extra time the Roy McBride Brandywell Stadium and the team, the starting. 11 Starting 11 prof You have some thoughts on this do you? Yeah I do I do have some thoughts yeah. Um Finn, Gary O'Neill and Al on the bench Big Al Big Alamanis The goalkeeper On the bench mm-hmm. uh, our, our number one goalkeeper Yeah our number one goalkeeper yeah And Cavo On McCann midfield And a cup start for Poles who Prof you had a stat What, what was your stat um, About Poles How many league games has he started In his Rovers career? Well, he started three, uh, one away to Dundalk this season, and there was two in the two dead rubbers last year, Balls and Waterford. He started one League Cup match in Bray. Right. He started a Leinster Senior Cup game in Clester, gives a dip to Clester, and the t- and now the three FAI Cup games this year. Okay, just a bit of background. Just a bit of background on that. So, um, I personally... Didn't like starting eleven. That's the thing. Like people are focusing in on polls. It's not polls. It's it does. <sighs> I'm getting frustrated already. It's Finn. Like we said, I called out who was on the bench there, didn't we? Like Finn, Gary O'Neill, and Big Al. So 
we're mere mortals here, Prof. We we're not privy to what goes on, to what goes on in the force team, injuries and tiredness and things like that. But as a fan, and I'm not talking about monetary gain. I'm not talking about what we can do. I want to win the FA Cup, and I want to play the best starting eleven possible, which includes Gary O'Neill, in my opinion, and includes Alamanis. Ultimately, the game was ruined by a red card. We'll move on, but. I didn't agree with the start eleven, and I was furious. I'll be honest, I was furious looking at it. But that's just me as a fan and an opinion. I'm one of thousands, and it doesn't really matter what I think. But we will move on. Brazor has used the squad very well. Like if you look at your garden, he surprised us by uh, using Jack and Rory as subs, and then he kept them for Harps. And then we ripped Harps apart. So he's used the squad very well before. Um, but then there are times where I like, like you say, we're just fans. We don't know the ins and outs. He must have reasons for picking certain players for certain occasions. And this was three days after traveling from Belgium. So there's factors there. There is. As someone else said, <clears throat> if we had drawn UCD or Treaty at home and we beat them comfortably. This debate never happens, does it? Mm-hmm. But it's the fact it couldn't have not have been a harder game. Let's be honest, the moment that draw was made, remember on the podcast, the we moment that draw we was made, it. at the back of our minds, you and I thought, we are probably going out of this cup. Because it was three days after Ghent. Yeah. So, we, but, we, but, yes, we don't agree with the team selection. No, we. But that's, that's Brazzers' call, and yeah. like I said, he has used the squad well before. Um, Johnny McDonald on punditry the one time he's on punditry and Gary O'Neill is dropped yeah, and I was got, like oh no he's going to a Debs <laughs> going to a wedding or a Debs at 8 o'clock uh, the pitch as usual shocking um, and then we move us yeah it was on. very dry but we've got a great record on this pitch yeah but we shouldn't shouldn't be allowed to play in a professional league Yeah, fake pitches should be outlawed and shouldn't be allowed to play simple rip it up but no no next so yeah we started the match and unfortunately McGonagall early goal um, bit of a weak header bad defending they no. had they had threatened over on their right side before before this goal so it was kind of coming um, then they hit the bar shortly after this so we were we were under the cosh here yeah big time um, I didn't know McGonagall was on such a drought this was his first goal in a while. Yeah, yeah, no, and it was listening. That's it's it's not a good thing but that he started to score now as well. Yeah, they kept doing that one where the one the ball over the back post, and even the the cabin the goal at the end came from the right side mm. as well. Paul's was rooted to the spot as well. Well, not rooted to the spot, but he's buried for that when they hit the bar as well. Um, so first half. Um, <sighs> so even before the red card, it's a poor performance. Yeah. And leggy. We don't know what what would have happened, eleven v eleven. But I just got the impression that Derry had way more intensity in the game, and they had an edge. That's how I always felt. They really, like they looked so good. And fair enough, they're at home, five wins on the trot, a lot of momentum. They're well rested. There's differences there between it. We're only back from Belgium. We're we're leggy, and we've had a lot of games under our belt. But they looked good. Diallo looked good. They've got good squad depth there. They made some really good subs. Um, 
on top of the sending off props, um, prof, this is this is never a sending off. I was watching it back. I ever. I watched it on the night, obviously, loads of times. I watched it again today, just just because the when the emotions out of it a bit more a few days later. Like, how can how can he think I can send someone off for this? It's two players barging into each other with their arms. Two of them are at it. Like he doubled down. He he thought to himself, "I'm calling this. I have to send them off." This it's is a Kevin Lynch decision. It's not even a foul, I think. It's not. You could, it almost, really you could almost give a free out to us. So how, if it's that objective or subjective, to the point where it could go the other way, how as a referee can you say, I'm going to send off a player on 38 minutes and completely change the complexion of this yeah. toy. He just thought to himself, this is my moment. You know, I'm in the spotlight. Could I could not this. wait to get that card. I reckon he thought he was being brave. He thought, oh, that's a decision that has to be made. I think that's what he was thinking. Well, I'll, I'll make the decision if it has to be made. No, that's of a bullshit. But ultimately, it was the wrong one. He, he, it was terrible. It's terrible, terrible. Shocker of a decision. And he sent off Watts as well in Daily Mount. So this is the second time in the space of a few, of yeah. a few weeks. We mentioned before he's given lots of decisions for us in previous yeah, years. Yeah, was so, off in Daily Mail, So he's <sighs> apparently he's our best referee, yeah, which is it's worrying. Fucking shocking, man! Shocking, shocking, so bad. But we got through. Well, we should mention though, the defending was terrible for the goal. Yeah, it came from a goal kick, and why is Grace letting the ball bounce? But it's that unnatural skid that doesn't help as true. well. Like, yeah, that's, true. That, it's so unnatural. It just takes a little extra bit of spin, and they seem to know that now as well. They play and they play off it, but we got um, we so got to have time, was, prof. Well, it was missed. We should mention patching. Yeah, patching yeah. hit the bar, which people said justice, but not really. We're a man down. No. There's no game justice. There's no justice. Simple game rule. So we got to have time anyway. And uh, what was what was the subs at halftime? Don't think there was any, was there? Mm, none at halftime. I think we took. I think it was took until the hour before we yeah. made subs. So we um, had 66 minutes with Rory Gaffney Prof and this was great bit of work from Farouja. Great to see him going yeah. by people actually instead of <laughs> and Kirk Cairns Kirk Cairns <laughs> put something up in the chat he goes somebody let uh, Farouja know you can't run through people. He did that about five times before this, this goal. <laughs> and then and he, he dices everybody and sets up a goal. He was wrecking my head before this goal. And then he does this great work. Brilliant bit of work and good shot. Who took the shot? I wasn't sure he was a lefty. Good um, shot. Now, keeper could have, like, I, I don't think the keepers anticipate what's coming next. You know, mm. they see a ball coming at them, they palm it out, Gaffney's there to, to bury it. And 1 1. And I was thinking to myself, lovely, this is, hold out here. Oh, this is excellent. This is brilliant. I was thinking, this is amazing. We actually played some decent football with 10 men. A couple of exchanges in the round there, mm. half, and little smart passes and triangles in the round there, half. And I just thought, this is not bad. Like, we, we can hold on here. We woke up. Mm. With 10 men. We actually started playing good stuff. A couple of more Ghent notes, actually. You mentioned Carl Kearns there. Carl Kearns, apparently, a fiend for pastries. A fiend for the pastries. That and, is definitely innuendo. And uh, also, uh, as we know, friends of Carl, um, we have Bucket, and we have Bucket Senior, and we have Dino. Uh, James Lowe couldn't wait to tell me the story in his in the state that he his was. His stupor. He... Um, he said, oh, Carl, it was so funny. Jason Maloney came up to us and he, he looked at, uh, he looked at Bucket and he said, uh, 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 Bucket, 
And then he looked at Dino and he said, Bugus brother. <laughs> <laughs> and then his dad just goes, I just didn't know I had another son. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So... Yeah, so we got we got it to we got it to extra time, and I was, like we did we have a chance? We, I think we might have had a chance. No, it was. I just remember it being. We were holding it well. Like I, they didn't have any real chances. They were whipping a lot of balls in, and we were dealing with it. I should mention, by the way, we neither of us were at this game, and uh, there there may be accusations of being cup, cup snobs. snobs here, but um, <clears throat> um, no, actually, I had a decent reason. In fairness, my dad uh, was only out of the hospital. From an operation. Ah yeah, ah, no, yeah. he's all blame your sick dad. Ah no, he's 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 okay now. But <laughs> I I couldn't. I, it wasn't feasible to be spending the whole day in Derry. Oh, as, as, as it happened. I was in work. I was in ten till six, and I just couldn't swing it, prof. I couldn't um, swing it. This new roster I have, it's breaking yeah. me hard. Um, I won't lie. Going into the game, I wasn't enthusiastic about it. I wasn't at all because I was, I was balls from Belgium. Were but, the players feeling the way we feel? But, do you reckon? But when Sunday came around, I was like. I actually had a good feeling. Yeah. I was like, we might cause an upset here. But so we got the full time um, anyway. And yeah, clinging so on pretty much. I know, but I just remember being on the edge of my seat. Uh, in this case, my bar stool. <laughs> but I just remember it being, fuck, this is intense. Because it was. I didn't expect us to get back into the game. And the players deserve tremendous credit for equalising, getting back into the game, taking the extra time. Three days after Belgium. Showed a lot of character, didn't it? Incredible effort. It showed a lot of character. I really, really did. And I was so happy, but I just... I felt there was some strange subs. I thought Gaffney coming off... I don't think he wanted to come off. He was taking off near 90 minutes. That annoyed people, the, the Gaffney I, sub, he was, yeah. he wasn't happy himself, so... And then we brought on uh, Simon Power, who eventually came off injured. But we got there to... Like, do you know what, McElhaney? On form, McElhaney is brilliant. He just looks like he can cut you open at any at any point in any stage. Your man Diallo, excellent. They brought on Thompson. They look. They had they had such a good squad. The large squad that they brought. They brought on Akintunde who fucking tore us to shreds. Like that's he a set up good Brando. squad. Yeah, it's a good squad. They he have. Set up Brando's they're coming for us, prof. And this will be a, a similar, maybe similar to us in twenty nineteen. You know, they're mm. obviously just handling the trophy now. Like, look at that draw. So this could be a springboard to them. Yeah, it's, yeah, quite similar so, to the way we use it. Yeah, definitely. But more importantly, this season they have a bit of momentum. But we've eight games left. Our fixture list is I don't know if we call it favourable, but mm. it's it's not the worst. So it's very much in our hands. But it's, uh, it's going to be the the pressure is on. But um, yeah, you mentioned the power injury. Um, he kind of fell on his ankles. You could, he? you could tell, look in his face afterwards. He was so. Oh, I thought you did well. He was he hair speed him. Yeah, he, he actually, got clobbered. Remember? He actually, yeah, he actually was looking very promising. I so, like Boyce off our dairy as well. I think that Boyce is a good player. Which causes a, a debate about our our signings. You know, we we all we knew we needed a couple of bodies in for the group stages. Clearly, his slip aside in Belgium has been excellent. Power hasn't worked out so far because he's broken down twice. You go back to 2011, Michael Neal's brought in uh, Brush, Patterson and Ricketts. And say what you like about Ricketts, but all three contributed something in that run-in. Yep, definitely, yeah. And, but like, what do you think? Do you think we... We need we need some Michael O'Neill-esque signings. We definitely do. 
I don't know if the budget is there. I don't know if we're trying. <coughs> this is the things we're not privy to as fans. <coughs> Have they pushed the boat out to try and get them and they just can't get them over the line? Is Bort supposed to be coming in? Is mm. Patterson supposed to be coming in? Are we looking at, like, what is the story? Do you know what I mean? Have we got the budget? Mm. We don't know. But we feel as fans that we need to make these couple of signings because we've got a big squad, but none of them are fit at the same time. Look at it now with the centre half crisis we've, we we've, have. We've been unlucky. Like, if you, we were going into shells. It was looking like we were going to be missing three centre halves. Uh, we've now learned that Pigo and Har are actually going to be available, although I doubt Pigo would play. But like that's terrible, and Lions and his national duty. It's yeah. terrible look. I'm 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 kind of concerned about up front. Like imagine Gaffney got a knock. Oh man, imagine. Considering we're who plays in who plays in for Gaffney? Do you put Green in. You put Green in. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we we have a big squad, but yeah, at the same time, just three injuries, and you're kind of suddenly we look a bit light in places. Yeah. Although Fruja has been a big plus now, I must say. Yeah, he'd be. Uh, we'll move on to him in a while. Um, so Lafferty extra, extra time or sorry yeah the, the Lafferty goal okay this 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 was horrible first of all stupid corner to give away yeah and this season our defending from corners has been hasn't been good and I'm, I'm just going to break it down no one's placing the blame or merely calling it how it is <clears throat> as a goalkeeper you can punch someone in the face and get away with it it's just how it is as a goalie and you get protection I can punch mm. you in the mush right now as a goalie and I get away with it because you have fists and you're allowed to use them in that box. And nobody was pressuring them. I'm not, I'm not having to go and pause. I'm just saying, I didn't see any Derry players climbing on him around. No, <clears throat> he had the freedom of his own box. Mm. So if a player, now you could say Gary O'Neill should have marked him, which I'm not saying. People win headers all the time. But as a goalie, you have a distinct <clears throat> um, advantage over anybody on the pitch because you can use your hands and you can punch people and get away with it. He, he was on, the, the skull went in from three yards out. Three yards. And he was stuck to his line. It just really, really frustrated me. It's bad goalkeeping. We're, we're just calling mm. how it is. Unfortunately, it happened in the 96 minute. The, the game was over. In the interest of fairness, Adam Manis doesn't come off his line very often either. So, possibly if Al starts his game, he doesn't punch this ball either. I know, but this so, ball never happens if Adam Manis starts because then it changes the time continuum and then the <laughs> butterfly effect comes in. Oh, the butterfly effect. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, don't forget that. A lot of movie references in this show. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, frustrating. And the yeah. second I went in, they, they, gone. Dead in the war. Dead in the war. And then Kavanaugh came on mm. and scored with uh, Akintunde. Lovely bit of play. Little round the corner pass. Kavanaugh takes a touch and buries it. 3-1 over. So his first goal for Derry. The two X hoops <coughs> with the goals. Yeah. So done, done, dusted out of cup, and I'm disgusted. I'll be honest, I am disgusted because it's such a storied tradition to tell mm. all these tales about the cup and winning the cup, and we've we've gone out, and I'm frustrated. I'll be honest, but I am frustrated that we went out. But some will say there's a bigger picture. I want the glory. Mm. I want the double. There is a bigger picture. I mean, if this like se- we're not going to win the conference league. Let's be honest. If this season ends, and we've won three in a row, and we've gotten a couple of more points in the group stage. It's been a fantastic season. But I'm frustrated, Prof. But when it happens at the time, um, like I I brought up the question in the, I was with the lads in the, the town you're in and I was asking them, do you think Dundalk, I had to check myself, do you think Dundalk won the double in 2016 when they had the very similar schedule? What do you think? Oh, yeah, I think they did, did they? They actually didn't. Ooh, they were beaten in the final. Cork. 
They're beating well, the now, final by Cork, so I think there was that little it's that, not that scabby goal. It's not easy to do, do a double when you've got a group stages. Still, look, got, still got the final. Yeah, if you look at 2011, I mentioned that recently that mm. we were beaten by Sligo in the quarters. So it's a big ask, um, but then there's like, but we haven't won the double in 35 years, oh, so that's for a while as well. That's why we we wanted it so badly. I know there'll be other years. But um, yeah, there is a bigger picture, and then the draw was made. Yeah, Derry drew three at home, so I think like even looking at the starting selection, we knew we weren't going to Oriel, we knew we weren't going to Dundalk or to Daly Mount or anywhere particularly tough. We knew that that was the draw in front of us. I just thought we could push the boat a little bit more to kind of just know that we're going to be playing the likes of a fourth division team or whatever. But Derry drew three at home, semi-finals. It's the fourth home draw in a row for Derry. Uh, fair play to anyone who did Belgium and Derry, so big t- a doff of the cap to the lads who who have done the business there. It's a brilliant commitment. But Simon Power unfortunately tweeted this. Good it. Been a very slow and frustrating start to my Robert's career. I'll do everything I can to fix the problem, to get back on the pitch and help the team, show you all what I can do. Um Dunster made a brilliant point as well. Where's our aura and swagger gone? It's gone the last five games. That's well, a good question. There's uh, Finn Harps Glenn Malore would have beaten Finn Harps no offence um, we've had we've been getting slapped around in like 4 nils and, and the Europa the Europa Conference League it's taken its toll on the team I reckon so the swagger does need to come back you know at the moment <clears throat> I, I remember reading the chat and people were talking about we'll talk about in a moment um, the dock getting knocked out Bowles getting knocked out and Pats and Sligo had already been eliminated in the first round Favours got done for us left right and centre the moment people kept going about oh this is opening up for us we will never have a better chance I would hide my head in my hands I was like stop <laughs> can hear the screams. every time this happens we get knocked out when it opens up for us and of course it happens yep um, well, like as much said, as we talk about the team selection Hennessy Hennessy cost like 100% ruined the game Yeah, we don't know what would have happened we don't know what would happen now, but Hennessy ruined mm. the game ultimately we can have our criticisms and things stuff like that but mm. a poxy refereeing decision ruined it and a bad referee let's be honest McDara Ferris on Twitter says the fact that this is the first time we've lost back to back games in a year shows how high expectations yeah. are at this club are we spoiled brats prof that we're going mad are we spoiled brats Um. yeah so we, we'll, move on, prof. we'll move on Prof we'll move on because I'm done before I start ranting actually there was one more note just on no. Hennessy don't do it Prof uh, <laughs> Ray Senior <laughs> walks past Hennessy at the end and he goes the Maltese were right about you <laughs> brilliant <laughs> brilliant yeah. Uh, yes so we're going to move on Prof Bowles beating 3 nil by Shells in the quarter final as well and Glenn Dunn says both three down that's the problem when you disguise yourself as a pussy you can see one goal and then three all come at once three three so that's them done Sean Boyd the two goals Sean Boyd coming back um, to haunt them he has some record against Bowles actually <laughs> yeah yeah He's I listen I, on form we never really got the best out of him he exploded onto the scene he looked great but he had some terrible injuries but good to see him playing ball and hopefully we can shackle him on uh, Thursday but Waterford knocked out Dundalk 3-2 as well Waterford would be a sneaky outside bet um, see the first goal ridiculous one of the most bizarre goals I've ever seen um, but Phoenix Parson thank you very much look great in the hoops we're, li- we're linked with him aren't we mm-hmm. Liam Scales prof called to the Euron squad well done Scales at centre half as well where oh yeah prefer him I think he's much better centre half and of course there's a rugby game on in the Aviva 
the day before the cup final. So mm. nice pitch, ra- raggedy, raggedy pitch to play on. And of course, Prof is a happy man. He's rejoicing in the lair. He's jumping around. He's got the jocks off. He's swinging them around his head. The Leinster Senior Cup is back in February. He's a yeah. happy man. And though Proctor is just eyeing, he's he's on the edge of his seat now, like yeah. licking his lips, looking at the Leinster Senior Cup. Um, Academy results, Prof. Under 19s were beaten by Bowes on penalties after a 2 2 draw. Idemo played since he was suspended for the first team. He scored a first half brace. So, unfortunately, for uh, com- commiserations to the boys. 17s won 3 2 on Cork. 15s beat Bowes 2 1 to the Roadstone. 14s were held to a 2 2 draw at home to Cork. First time they've dropped points this season. So, And on the same, or rather the day before we played Ghent, uh, the young hoops were playing in the UEFA Youth League. And unfortunately, they were heavily beaten 5 0 by AZ Elkmar. Tonk! <laughs> it was a tonking, wasn't it? It was a tonking. Um, now, they were, were missing quite a few players. Like, you know, Idemo and Tete were um, with the first team, the likes of them. Uh, Justin as well. 1 0 at half time, yeah. by the way. Was it, yeah? Yeah. Um, yeah, like, like our 15s goalkeeper was over there in that game. So, mm. not our strongest team. Um, unfortunately, a uh, heavy defeat. Yep. Did you see on Instagram the picture of their hotel? Yeah, they stayed in a prison, a repurposed prison. My one, my the getaway hotels. We looked and it was like an old convent. It was deadly. The accommodation was brilliant in Ghent, by the way, as well. I just yeah. kept staring at that photo, though. I just, <laughs> you know, that noise where they open all the doors. Yeah. And then all the convicts step out and they do the count. Yeah. I'd, I'd just be looking around, like, imagine how many times that was done in this prison. <laughs> Yes, so that was it, and uh, we're gonna move on now, Prof. We have a treat for the fans. It's a long one this week. It is B.I. Billy Dennehy. So I'm delighted to be joined by Billy Dennehy, former Shamrock Rovers winger, and enjoyed a really successful time with the club. Uh, so welcome to the show, Billy. Thanks very much, Kara. Cheers, have me on. Uh, going back to the beginning, you started out at Trinity Dynamos, your your local club. There, were you always a left winger, or did you convert into one at some stage? Yeah, I think kind of like that, like most lads probably playing a lot of different positions. Um, when I was young, it was really wherever I could get a game, I'd play. Um, so that that resulted in a lot of various different positions. But um, yeah, the, as I kind of went through the age groups, I suppose one of my strongest points is that I could run a lot. Um, so they probably put me in a position that, that would require a lot of running. So that that kind of um, picked a position for me. And obviously, as I got a bit older, transitioned to a small bit, Further back the pitch into left back, but yeah, I played most of my role on the left or the right, really. Did you model your game on anybody? Did you have any sort of football and hero that you were kind of looking up to? No, not really. I think any of the ones that I would have looked up to watching from afar would have been far beyond my level, so it would have been very difficult to, to kind of emulate any of them. But no, I think just as a player, I always really just focused on giving 100%, you know, as, as basic and as simple as that sounds. But, you know, I always just focused on preparing right and making sure my energy levels were at that maximum and then going all onto the pitch and kind of um, emptying the tank every game, you know. And obviously sometimes on the ball, that might not mean going well, but you can always kind of control your work rate and your effort. And, and you know, that's probably the biggest thing that I, I always took into every game. So you went on a few trials, uh, Forest, Aston Villa, Southampton, but it was Sunderland you went to. Mick McCarthy brought you there. I actually forgot about this, that it was it was Mick who signed you in January 2005. So interesting time to join Sunderland. Um, 
how did you find it there making the move across and what was that experience like yeah it was Carl and I suppose at that time really it would have been very unusual for a Kerry lad to be going on trials like there would have been one or two lads before me but not many had really gone over to the UK and and, and kind of been over in clubs on a trial so it was sort of it was still unusual I was actually on the Kerry Miners in 05 as well um, and we had a very good Kerry Miner team we we played the Munster final against Cork and we won that and we were kind of on the road to an All-Ireland final and I was jumping in and all the training weeks flying over to Austin Villa and Southampton and Sunderland and Nottingham Forest and you know it was kind of um, it was definitely a hectic time Um, but you know I was enjoying every moment of it I was enjoying obviously the the, the newness of, of going over to trials and UK clubs and the excitement that that brought um, but you know ultimately a decision came in on what I needed to focus on and I suppose when the offers came in I think the first one was from Nottingham Forest um, and in Sunderland as well um, you know that's when it kind of became serious and I had to make a decision on what I really wanted to do going forward and obviously the Irish side of things with Mick at um, Sunderland and a few of the Irish players that were there already I felt a bit more comfortable and, and you know that's when I I made the decision to go there. Yeah, you were you were in the reserve team, so you were kind of on the fringes there, weren't you? You were given a squad number for the 2006-2007 season. Uh, when did you make the decision to to ultimately leave and and come back to Ireland? Yeah, I, I suppose like that with being in Sunderland and being in the reserves of the U team. Um, when Mick McCarthy was there, and then obviously Roy Keane came in and um. The club had a very successful year, got more to the Premier League and obviously all that brings. And, you know, as a young player being in and around the fringe of the first team, you were just pushed further back, really. And, you know, so leaving Sunderland wasn't my choice. You know, I was released um, and I had a decision to make on what the next steps was. And there was a few options in the UK and the lower leagues. Um, But, you know, I came home for the summer and I probably was at a stage in my life, really, where I needed to get back and join my football and get back playing in an environment where... You know, I was enjoying the game again and, you know, thankfully that that happened um, in Cork, you know, in, in 2009. Um, you know, a really great group of people there in the club and um, people who are still involved in the club today, Con Healy and, you know, people like that. And, you know, I kind of felt comfortable again and kind of got back in my stride and, and enjoying my football. And then that obviously led to the move to Rovers. It's funny, if you look at our 2010 title winning squad, a lot of our players were kind of, making their way through England and back around that time, like Pat Flynn and Wolves, Bradzer and in Scotland. So kind of did you kind of do you remember meeting any players along the way then or were we just it was all very separate? Yeah, no, it was all very separate, you know, as as players you don't really talk about, you know, where you kind of been too much or you don't really talk about the past. You know, when you're in a dressing room it's always focusing on obviously the goals that you have as a squad and what you're looking to achieve as a squad. But, you know, now that you mentioned it and put it like that, you know, the experiences that we all would have had individually, you know, prior to joining Rovers as a group, that probably all stood to us collectively, you know, that we had those experiences kind of individually to, to lean on and probably tough times that we'd all gone through individually and then, you know, all been together at Rovers around that time, we kind of clicked and everyone had a really, you know, that group was really focused and really driven, like, you know, to, to be successful and, you know, that was a key element to behind the success that the group had. So yeah, you had a short spell at Derry before um going on to, to Cork. So and yet you, you had a good time at Cork. Obviously there was financial trouble in the background. But um I suppose what do you remember about that time, Derry and Cork, 
when you're you're back in the League of Ireland? Yeah, so I suppose when I came back here in, in that summer after you know coming back from Sunderland, I you know when I decided I wasn't going back to the UK and I had to decide where I was kind of going to play here and um you know I I kind of a deal arranged with Cork at the time I was going to sign for them. Um and that was kind of one of the first times they went through the financial troubles. I know they've kind of been through it a few times, but at that time, um, they'd win that European game and they'd come back and, you know, they were literally kind of in financial difficulty from then. So um, Stephen Kenny called me from the, at Derry, so I'd went up there. And I suppose from, from the start, it was a great club and, you know, a very community-based club and, and good people involved. But I can remember we after I was up there for a couple of months, we had a weekend off. And I drove home and honestly, it took me six or seven hours to get home. Um, you know, there was no flight. So I knew straight away that that's not what I kind of envisaged when I moved home. You know, when I moved home, I thought, look, I'll be somewhere where I'll be able to get home and see my family and they'll be able to come and visit me and come to a lot of the games. But at Derry, that, that, that couldn't have been further away. You know, I might as well have still been in the UK because it was traveling was so difficult to get home. So, um, then after that, obviously, the, the year after Cork would kind of stabilise the bit and they were kind of back and putting a group to, together and I was able to go back there um, in 2009 and that's when as I said the, the kind of the, the enjoyment for the game came back to me you know when I started to enjoy my football and started to get comfortable again and enjoying the game and, and that kind of led to to the move to Shamrock Rovers Of course 2009 Rovers have moved into Tala and uh, surprisingly, we mounted a title challenge that season, uh, which only fell off the rails in the last sort of five or six games. So do you remember virtually costing Robert the league which with the, by scoring one of the goals for Cork in Tala uh, at near the end of that season? No, you know, I didn't. I was probably reminded of it all right when I joined by, by one or two of the lads. But... Um, you know, I think as a player, when I was going up there, I was very happy in Cork. And, you know, Cork were obviously striving to get to back to the levels where Rovers were striving to get to as well. So, you know, it was always going to be a good game with a couple of great games, you know, against Rovers when I was playing against them. You always look forward to playing against the good teams in the league. You know, as a player, you always get excited about, you know, the big teams and the big games. And, you know, Sham Rovers was definitely one of them. But um, I think, you know, after that game, obviously, maybe, you know, Shamrock Rovers made a decision to, to sign me after that game. Quite possibly, you know, maybe Michael seen, seen enough that day. And, and, you know, the conversations kind of started soon after that, you know, about maybe possibly joining the club. But, you know, obviously, I was at Cork and I was very happy there as well. But, um, you know, Shamrock Rovers and, and Michael and what they were building there and a few of the players that were there as well, you know, it was very exciting. And I felt at the time, to be honest, Shamrock Rovers as a club were probably trying to get to where I was as a player. You know, as a player, I was trying to get back to being, you know, playing at a decent level and, you know, competing for trophies and, you know, Europe and all that side of things. And, you know, Shamrock Rovers was striving to get back there as well. So it seemed like the perfect fit, the perfect time. Well, it sounds like you had a good conversation with Michael O'Neill. Um, what was he like to play under? And did he give you a lot of confidence as a manager? Yeah, he did, you know. You- you take an awful lot from every manager you kind of play for the good and the bad, you know, you kind of analyze in your own way about, you know, what they kind of brought to you as a player, but also what they brought to the group and obviously at the club as well. Now you'd see, you know, you think of it like that. Now certainly when you're involved in teams, you'd see the way managers aren't just dealing with players or, or coaches are dealing with a whole football club and an organization that it is in a different area that it has. But, um, you know, Michael was definitely one of the best, you know, if not the best I've 
played under just in terms of the way he managed the whole overall picture of a club and all the moving parts that it had, um, especially a club like Rovers, you know, which is, um, you know, a big, big club with, you know, big expectations. And, um, you know, I think the group of people that he put together and uh, the environment that he created for the players allowed us to strive and I suppose excel within ourselves individually and then as a group as well. And I think that probably, you know, resulted in, you know, the first Irish club to qualify for the European group stages. And that really knocked down a barrier, you know, that made it believable for everyone else, you know, because before that many teams had, and many clubs had put a lot of resources into trying to break down that barrier of the group stages of the Europa League, but not many, no, none did. And I think, you know, that group, um, you know, that might be put together, everyone, you know, played a big part in it. And, you know, it was a great achievement. And I think that's probably really kick-started a lot of good European runs for other Irish clubs. So we have a few fan questions that were sent in. So we're going to start on the 2010 season. Uh, Gary Cosgrove sent this one in. How happy were you with Big Al saving the last-minute penalty after you were sent off for a deliberate handball against Pats? Yeah, Big Al. Big Al was a housemate of mine up in, up in Rovers as well. Um, you know, a great guy and, um, you know, a lad who... You know, you you loved having a teammate because Big Al was worth 12 to, 12 to 15 points a season to you. So um, he earned us a few that night as well. And again, it's one of those you look back on now and, um, and I haven't thought of it in a long time since you've said it, but that was a very exciting game. It was a great atmosphere. And I was on the post for a corner. I can remember someone had a header and it was going in and they just took out the hand and pushed it away. And obviously, look, if, if the goal goes in, you're you're kicking yourself because you feel like you've cost the team the result. And But, you know, thankfully, I'll, I'll make the save. And I think we went on to, to get a result that night as well. So um, it ended up being a good decision. Uh, Billy Suarez, they were calling you because uh, Luis Suarez had done the same in the World Cup a few weeks previously. Did that give you the idea, maybe? No, do you know, I don't know. It might have been the Gaelic football background a little bit as well. <laughs> um you know, it's one of these things that happen so quick and, you know, it's just a, a, a reaction that, you know, I could see it going in and, you know, it was just this a spur of the moment decision and, you know, sometimes those things can go for you or they can go against you, but thankfully on, on that night it went for us. I don't actually remember uh, how the pundits reacted at the time, but someone sent in that question, do you remember how they reacted? So was it was it negative or something? No, I haven't a clue. To be honest, I didn't listen to many of them. Um, you know, as a player, look, obviously opinions are a part of the game and, you know, certain people get paid to give an opinion at a certain time, but, you know, as a group of players and as a, as a player yourself, you know, you, you don't really take too much on board of, of opinions because as you get older, you realise that it can change like the wind. You know, you can be, you know, brilliant one week and, and you can be, you know, the worst thing, you know, the following week. So, no, I, I definitely can't remember. Can't remember that. Yeah, because I remember a different reaction to Suarez when he did a somewhere giving out, somewhere calling it heroic because he got his country through to the to the semi-finals, I think, didn't he? But the uh, different perspectives. Um also 2010, uh your free kick against Sligo. A lot of people reference this game, the noise in the stadium when that goal went in. Can you record it? Oh Jesus, yeah. Man, you've said it there. No, again, I, I, I have. I don't think of these things. Obviously, you don't as a player when you, when you um, come on things like this. Now we start to remember them, and yeah, like that was what a night. Um, Sligo were a very good team. We were neck and neck for the league, um, and I can remember standing over the ball with Chambers, 
and Chambers was thinking, I'll hit it. And I was like, no, I'll hit it. We were kind of over and back. And, um, you know, I knew I'd be getting an airful off him if, if I didn't at least hit the target anyway. So that was all my focus was when I was taking it, it just hit the target. Um, but, you know, thankfully it went in. And, and you know, it was, a, it was a great night, a great occasion, a great atmosphere. And I think nights like that really as a group of players brought us to another level, you know, kind of really created that belief in, in the group and everybody that night was on, was unbelievable, you know, and the unity that we had in the dressing room and the night out afterwards. And, you know, there's kind of events and there's kind of get moments in the season that kick you on to the next level. And, you know, Sligo being a very good team that they were at that time, you know, it was a great win for us and, you know, definitely helped us go on and win the league. Do you reckon that was your best goal for Roberts? Jesus, yeah. Um, again, I, I I can't remember many of them, to be honest. Um, but I suppose importance wise, just for the game that it was, and, and knowing that Sligo coming to coming to Tallaght, if they had won that game, it would have really kind of swung things in their favour a bit. And, and you know, psychologically, if they came to our place and beat us, you know, it wouldn't have been you know a good thing for us. So I, I think probably overall importance, yeah, of you know the season and and you know. Getting over the line, that was probably a game that, that the three points was, um, you know, was the must win for us. The title running, I mean, there's a million things we could talk about. Um, it was a pretty young squad, like average, it was 22, 23, 24. We spoke a moment ago how a lot of these players had come home from the UK, but most of them had never won a league before. Um, you had Dan Murray there, who was very experienced. But he was actually injured for a lot of the run and he famously described this league win as we fell over the line. So but what jumps out in your mind? I mean, like I said, so many things you could talk about. You scored a great goal against Pats where you won three one. And it seemed like we were just gonna sail the, the league title. Then we get hammered five one on dock. Then we lose a few games in a row. Then the Infamous sporting fingal game. So, I mean, what do you remember about that roller coaster ride? Yeah, geez, it really was. And and I suppose, like that, you had the whole expectation of, you know, winning that first league and winning it in Tala. And, you know, you had, you definitely could feel, you could feel a lot of that throughout the season. And, and, you know, to be honest, me as a player, that's what I wanted. Like, you know, that's what I was striving for and, and to be an environment to be in a club like that because. You know, if you're not, you're only coasting along. You know, it, when you're in teams that are in the middle or the bottom, or like you're only floating along the season. You know, the seasons are finished halfway through the year, so you know to have that excitement and to have that, you know, importance in every game is. I loved it. So I loved every bit of it. And you know, and I knew in certain games we have to win today, and you know, we have to get a result. And you know, there are conversations we'd have, uh, you know, amongst ourselves. And you know, we lived, um, you know, in a house in in Oakdale Park, Thailand. Um, yeah, for a house, a few of the boys we were in it, Twiggy and Sivy and Turner and Al and Tommy was there later on and Stevie was there later on. But you know, we used to talk about the importance of the games and, and you know, the, as I said, that's what you want as a player. You want those occasions where you have to go perform, you have to go win because that means you're aiming for something, that means you're striving for something, and you know, you're aiming for trophies. And you know, I think as a group, when we, we did push through a lot of those, um. I suppose obstacles that were put before us and, uh, you know, those setbacks, you know, we bounced back then and, and, you know, got results and big games, you know, I think that helped us go on and create character within the team and the group that helped us achieve more the following year. Yeah, the twists and turns, Galway shockingly beat Bowes. That gave 
us the initiative again to go to Bray where we only needed a point. Um, that night at the Carlisle grounds, was that a special one? Oh, geez, it was, yeah. I think he scored a goal that, that, day, that day as well. Um, one of many. Right? Um, yeah, but I can, of course, my, all my family came up from Kerry um, and they were all with the, the Rover supporters. And obviously, at the end of the game, everyone was rushing up to the pitch and, and the wall collapsed, the wall broke at the, the bottom. And my mum and dad were over there in amongst the heart, a bit of my uncles that used to come to all the games. So, Look, they have photographs in their house now um, that, that that first league win. And, and and I think the importance of what it meant to the club as well. You know, obviously, look, every league win is, is important and every league title is important. But, you know, definitely, you know, that one, you know, stands out because it wasn't just, say, a player winning your first league title. It was a club that had won it in so long and what the club had gone through to get back to that level. And, you know, the obstacles that were ahead of everyone, you know, involved. I think that's what made it really special, like, you know, and it's... Um, you know, I think it's made it's made memories that that people remember very fondly. You know, yeah, everybody remembers that pitch invasion. Uh, Glenn says you took a scarf off him on the pitch after full time in Bray. We won the league. He wants to know if you still have it. Yeah, my mother and father do actually. It's in the house. Yeah, I don't have anything here in my own house. My mom and dad have a few bits and pieces and and stuff like that up in their house. But yeah, no, we. Um, everything from that night, really, my kit and my, you know, boots and everything like that, they're all, they're all kept like, you know, so again, I suppose for me individually as a player, I'd come from a place a few years before that where, you know, I was at an English club and I was let go and you're kind of starting your career again. And then, you know, you come back and, and you know, you finally get back to a club where you feel like, you know, you're enjoying your football, you're with a great team, you're with a great club. Um, and, you know, so to, to have that, experience of winning together and, and winning a big trophy that, that hadn't been done in a long time and um, you know it was a it was a special night and you know thankfully we had we had a few more after that with the whole European thing as well so um, it was it was a good period for, for me and my career definitely yeah, and before we get on to Belgrade there was the win in Israel and of course we had the carrot of, of Juventus in the next round I was talking to a good few players in the squad from who played in Israel a lot of them kind of single out that win and they single out that dressing room as being one of the most special. So what do you remember from, from that night? Yeah, it was in a lot of places as well. Um, Israel, you know, obviously none of us have probably ever been there. Um, but you know, when we landed all that place was lovely. You know, it was a really nice place. And, you know, I think the group that we were, we were just on this roller coaster of, you know, games and traveling in different venues and different countries. And, you know, we were young, like early 20s. And, you know, we were just enjoying it all and embracing it all. And we had no fear. We had absolutely zero fear as a group of players. You know, we didn't really care where we were, who we were playing. You know, it was just go out and give it everything. You know, and that's the attitude that we had as a group. And, and you know, certainly that night, you know, the result that it was and the occasion that it was, and it was so hot and warm. And, Conditions were so difficult, but you know, as I said, as a group and the players that come on and everyone that was involved, you know, we all knew that you know everyone played a big role in it. Like you know, we celebrated like that together afterwards as well. You know, it was a it was a good trip. And the event just at home was was a great occasion. And then the second leg and the the biblical rain and the Del Piero free kick and all that stuff. Uh, some 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 magic moments there. Jesus, yeah, yeah, the rain over there and. Example, to be honest, the rain obviously helped us because they couldn't really pass the ball. So um, that probably stood us um, in good stead really throughout the game. But again, a battle in performance. And as I said, we 
we went into those games with zero fear, really, as a group of players. You know, we went out, you know, you went this home away. We, you know, we didn't really, you know, we weren't in awe of anyone. You know, we just went out there as a group of players individually and, you know, as a group. Um, you know, we went out there and, and, and looked to kind of get a win. You know, as, as a man as my song, we, we, we really did look to go and get, get, get wins in those games. Um, you know, for a free kick, I can remember being in the wall and, um, you know, when Del Piero hit it, it kind of flew straight up and I thought, that's oh, so. all, like it's kind of over the bar, just the way it kind of took off um, from his foot. And as I looked over my shoulder, I seen it in the net and, I, you know, I thought it must be some free kick to beat Big Al from there. Um, but, you know, I've seen it back afterwards and again, a special moment from a special player on the pitch and um, it was great to see him put on the, the Shamrock Rovers jersey after the game as well. Um, you know, and I think the club itself showed, you know, a lot of respect for us and, and, and Shamrock Rovers as a club, you know, when we were over there and, you know, it was, um, you know, a real touch of class by them. Yeah, Brazzer and, and, and Flynn are in the wall as well. Brazzer turned to, to Paggio and said, should we celebrate with them or what? <laughs> oh, that's a classic. Yeah, it was. <laughs> we didn't have the biggest wall in there, so we probably should have had a few more bigger men in the wall. <laughs> maybe that might have helped but it was such a good free kick probably not um, so Belgrade is a famous night um, I was just taking the stats there I didn't realise you were taking off a half time for for Kyle Shepherd. so you actually you saw a, a chunk of this game from the bench uh, so a famous night so talk us through your I suppose your memory of how it unfolded yeah I suppose it I should have been taken off after half an hour. Um, so I didn't really get to half time. But yeah, difficult game and the shape that they played at the time and the system that they played. Um and the humidity and the heat just couldn't get going at all. Personally, um, you know, you just felt like you were pinned back and then when you got the ball, you were so far away from, you know, their goal, you just felt pinned in for the whole half. Um but, you know, as the game went on and we hung in there, you could feel the atmosphere in the ground, you know, you could feel the, I suppose, the nervousness and, and, you know, the more that it was going on and we weren't out of sight, you know, they, they weren't out of sight with the result, you know, you could feel that, you know, we were going to get chances, um, but, you know, you could never have wrote the way it went and the, the you know, the way that we turned it around and the way that we, you know, got the result and, and you know, the impact that, you know, the boys coming on made, um, you know, it was an unbelievable night and, you know, as I said, it was a, especially for Irish football overall, because that had never been achieved before. So, you know, I think it was um, a big shock to, to everyone back home. Um, you know, and probably something that nobody thought we would have done or achieved. But, you know, again, it was such a credit to the group of people that were involved that, as I said earlier, we, we went over there, you know, looking to get these results. And obviously, Sully Sporn, um, you know, one of the best goals probably the club has ever seen um, or had in the club was... Um, you know, things that you need on the night too. So um definitely a special night overall. Can you remember I suppose it's hard to capture it, but that the feeling when uh Stevie scores the the penalty in extra time and they get a man sent off. So we kind of know we're gonna see out the game. So you have time to think about it. But then when the final whistle goes, do you get a sense of what you've achieved and then does the does the celebrations just go into the night and then the 42 fans that travel as well, you got to mingle with them. Yeah. So 
was that all just really yeah. special knowing what you've achieved you're the first irish club to do this yeah amazing it was like you know it really was and i think the biggest thing again as i said was just being that first irish club you know that that's something never ever been done before so you know, people talk about history all the time and making history but nobody really does make history to its true form you know and a lot of stuff that had been done in sports has been done previously you know by somebody else or by another team or by another group but you know for a group of players that was real history you know and that was you know uh, you know especially life for Irish football as I said it, I think it really opened the door and it really kind of created that belief for other clubs that it can be done and it can be achieved um, but you know from there obviously you you have a great celebration afterwards in the dressing room and obviously that leads into the night and the next day um, you know you're getting ready to travel back and then the excitement of the group comes out you know who you're going to be in the group with and then obviously the announcement of getting a Premier League team was just the icing on the cake you know and there was massive excitement for, for all those games and um, you know it was a, as I said a journey that we were just on every week and, and you know we were kind of enjoying the ride as it was going and it was just continuing to get bigger and bigger and um, you know, it's definitely uh, you know, a period in all our careers individually. That was probably something really special for all of us. Of course, Robbers are, are experiencing this all over again for the first time in eleven years since you guys did it. And they also we're also having to deal with, I suppose, uh, a fixture congestion, and you have to come back home and do your bread and butter and win your league title as well, which which we did in two thousand eleven. Uh, the last minute winner in UCD to uh, seal the title was that another good night Jeez, it was yeah I, th- I think that was the only game I missed that season um, yeah you were suspended yeah 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 and I, I played in every other game I think that year um, but I can remember being there obviously in the stand and, and watching the game and there was a great support from Rovers as well it was like a home game really um, you know but obviously when you again when the final whistle goes you have that kind of relief and that excitement um, you know and that kind of yeah, I said relief for all the hard work that is that has been done throughout the year, and, and again to get over the line and get that the back league title, um, you know, was was nice. And you scored <clears throat> sixteen goals in all competitions that season. You outscored uh, the one and only Gary Twig. So <laughs> did you lower that over him? <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Um, he probably claim a few of those goals that I scored and said that they they won't stop him on the way in, probably. <laughs> Actually, he got one but, too uh, many. He stole one off Dean Kelly, so you got two more than. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, again, like Twiggy was, you know, obviously look to Twiggy's record and my different club speaks for itself. But you know, as as a player or as a forward kind of a player, you know, I was always conscious that you can't be putting the burden always on one player. You know, to to be getting you all in trouble every week and every game. You know, so I, I was conscious as. As a, as a kind of a, a wide player, as an attacking player to chip in and, you know, you have seasons where kind of more going than others and, you know, that was just one of those seasons where, you know, a lot of the chances that were created by the team, I just happened to be on the end of them. But, um, yeah, no, it was um, it was a good season and, and personally as well to, to get that many goals um, was probably something that I strive to do, you know, to try to get, you know, over 50 goals and, and you know, I, I was happy to do that season. Um you know, but like that, yeah. As I said, it was it was easy to kind of have chances to score goals when you're on a good team. So, um, yeah, two you share the share the top goal score for one year anyway. I'm sure. Yeah, you got a hat trick at the UCD ball as well that season. That was in the FBI Cup. 
And uh, I think he might be actually be the last Rovers player to score a hat trick away from home. I'm trying to think now. I can't. I can't actually think of one because they're all, they're always a talent. But that could that could be a stat for you now. Um, Jesus, yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you: Did you pay much attention to any criticism? I suppose from the hoop supporters because I mean, in general, you are very well liked. We talked about it there. You scored sixteen goals. I think the vast majority of fans appreciated your how much you con- you what you contributed. But there always seemed to be some who would get on your back. So did it ever bother you at all? Yeah, as home fans, of course it would. You know, when you played away from home, you're used to getting stick and you're used to kind of getting abuse. Um, you know, when you were playing away, playing away from home, but yeah, certainly at home, you know, you would kind of feel that a bit more, and it would probably maybe affect you a little bit more. Um, but look, you can understand it as well. You know, as a club, like Shamrock Rovers, you're expected to win every week. You're expected to play well every week. You're expected to score goals every week. You know, those expectation levels are there, so. You know you can you can understand it, but I suppose from a player's point of view, um, you know it probably doesn't help when you're kind of going through a bad time. That's when you need probably a little bit more support than when things are going good, because when things are going good, you're confident and you know your kind of things are flowing naturally. But when you're going through a bit of a bad patch, that's when I suppose you need to be picked up and kind of back on the horse again, as they say. Um, but look, it's all part of learning as a player. It's part of developing as a player as well. And you know that's that stands true instead when you know you might go through a little bit dip a little dip in form, you know, after that, you kind of can rely on the experience that you've come through before. So, um, no, it's all, it's all part of the game. Does it not help as well? Because the, the position and the role that you're in, like you're, you're on the touchline, you're expected to cross the ball. You're expected to hit in a perfect delivery every single time. And if you don't, there's a groan in the stand. So is that kind of the life of a winger? Yeah, it is. And I suppose as a wide player, you've got your defensive work and you have your that side of the game as well, you know. So but look, every every position has its um advantages and disadvantages, you know. But obviously for a wide player you are probably judged on, you know, your assists and chances created and crosses the box, but also on your goals as well. So, you know, you do have to contribute a lot to the attacking side of the pitch without, you know, kind of um leaving your defensive responsibilities go either. So you do have a heavy workload, but um, you know, every every position in the pitch would say the same. Uh Peter Murphy has the next question. Um, obviously Stephen Kenny took over the following season. So he wants to know what did you think of of, of Stephen Kenny as a manager? Yeah, obviously when Stephen first came in, you know, I, I had the experience at Derry and and you know, I wasn't too sure what way to be honest it would go when he came in. Obviously, I fought hard to get my you know, career back on track and we such good set success at Rovers and the group that was there and it was kind of this new manager coming into a group that has, I suppose, been created by Michael and, and you know, we had a very strong bond as a group. Um, so there was always going to be, I suppose, that transition into a new manager and, and I suppose the day-to-day way that they, they work and they operate. Um, but, you know, as time gone on, you could see that, you know, Stephen, you know, he tried his best at the club. It was probably just very unfortunate that the timing was... How do you replace, you know, how can you, I suppose, how can you replicate qualifying for the group stage Europa League with the back-to-back leagues titles, you know, cup finals, Atlanta Cups, you know, it was a really kind of difficult situation to come into. And as we see at the highest level, it happens clubs, even at the highest level, you know, when managers come in at, behind a very successful manager or a very successful time at the club, it's very difficult to come in and replicate that. Do you feel some of his, his signings were... I suppose poor because you look at now Adam Manis is still gone. We see how important the goalkeeping position is. 
Um, Stephen brought in three young goalkeepers, um, which which didn't work out. Um, Killian Brennan came back. Correa Gilbert obviously didn't work out. Uh, Graham Garland has spoken about it before on podcasts about his, his time in 2012. Do you think ultimately it came down to his, his transfers just didn't work out for him? Yeah, like I suppose like any business or any club, you know, your recruitment is key, you know, and, and again, there's a lot of variables involved in that as well. Um, but no, I think, look, I think besides the, the new players coming in, there was enough of players there from before as well. You know, there was still, you know, there's still a core group of the players that had, that had been there for the previous two years. So, you know, I wouldn't just say it was, the, you know, new players coming in or anything like that. I think it was just obviously a new environment, a new way of training, because not just Michael left, obviously the coaches left as well. So you didn't just have a new manager, like you had a new assistant manager, you had a new, you know, you had a whole new setup, you know, there was new kit man, new physio, there was lots of, lots of, you know, things had kind of changed. So the environment was just different. And I think, you know, that's ultimately where, where as a group, it, it needed more time to, to get used to it and it needed a bit more time to adapt to, but we were used to success and we were used to winning and trophies straight away because we'd been doing it for the previous two years. So I think that's probably where, you know, the patience ran out a little bit. Yeah, in 2013, 2014, was was Trevor Crowdy in charge? Um, Paul McGrath, Robert's fan, not, not the Paul McGrath. He wants you to talk about uh, your 94th minute free kick and turn his cross that put us into the Satanta Cup final in 2013. So do you remember that free kick? Yeah, jeez, I do. Um, I was probably standing over with Chambers again. He didn't listen to me too often, but thankfully he didn't once or twice there. Um, over the free kicks, but no, I, I think on the night we probably didn't play great. We we weren't, you know, we didn't, um, you know, we weren't at our best at all as a team. Um, so, you know, an opportunity came up late on in the game. And obviously it's, it's one of those situations where if you score, you know, it's great and you go through, but if you don't, you're probably showing the responsibility of why you didn't go through, you know. So, but look, as a player, I always kind of took on that, whether it be a penalty or a free kick or a corner, you know, I always kind of stepped up and, and you know, kind of showed a bit of responsibility that way. Sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, thankfully on that night, you know, it went our way and, and, and managed to get us through to the final. Yeah, there was two all in the way goals last minute goal. Did you enjoy the Satanta Cup? Because I know you scored in the 2011 final as well. So was that trophy you kind of had a bit of fondness for? Yeah, I think the the, the first one was home to Dundalk in the final, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a great day. Um, you know, because it was, again, a, a, cup, cup, uh, a cup final that hadn't been probably in Tala um, before. And it was a, a big occasion. It was a full house and Dundalk were a good side as well and some very good players so we knew it would be a tough game um, but you know again we hit our strides um, you know going into the second half and you know we were very comfortable you know the way we played on the day it was you know a good performance and we deserved to win and again it was part of that group that we were that was created within the club that you know these were things now that weren't beyond us to go and win these trophies and win these competitions and um, you know it was another another step on the journey that helped us go on and, and, and achieve more I interviewed Mick Hook there uh, a few weeks ago. He was the draw the manager when we tonked them 7-1 in the 2013 finals. So he said every shot we took just seemed to go in. To win a final 7-1 is uh, remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, I, th- I think on that day again, as, as a group of players, we were kind of used to getting to playing those games now. You know, we were used to kind of playing these finals and, you know, the big occasions were 
weren't anything new to us. So we were very comfortable in them, I think, you know, as a, as a group of players. And, you know, obviously we had very good individual players throughout the team and in the squad overall. So that can make a difference on the day itself. But, you know, we played really well that day as well. The chance we created and, and the football that we played and, you know, we, we deserved to win. And, you know, it was unfortunate for that the scoreline was what it was. Um, but, you know, I think overall as a team, we, again, we kind of clicked on that day too. And, you know, we deserved to win that. Uh, there was, there was a, a response on Instagram from Instantly Aiden. He just says, best winger ever. That's all. It wasn't even the question. Just says you're the best winger ever. Uh, Rob O'Connell yeah. asks, what's the difference between Rovers and every other League of Ireland club? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I, I think obviously, first of all, as a player, it's where you kind of end up settling the best or where you kind of... And, and as a player, there's different things that, that contribute to that as well. You know, as a as a player, you know, certain people are, are at different stages within their life. You know, for example, say like Dan Murray, you know, when he was, when he was with Rovers, you know, he... He had, you know, family in Cork, he'd, you know, mortgage, he'd to be, you know, going home and, you know, he'd to be, he was at that stage of life, whereas for me and a lot of other lads at Rovers that time, we were young, you know, we didn't have any real big commitments outside of football, so you know, our football was our whole life. You know, we used to train, we'd go to the gym, we'd eat together, we'd go to the cinema together, we'd go out together. You know, we were like, you know, we're like brothers, a lot of us, like, spent more time with each other than we did with our families. And, you know, that probably shone through really in, in the group that was created within the club. and. You know, it's unfortunate that probably things, um, you know, disbanded and people left because I do feel like if that group was kept together over a long period of time, you know, we would have achieved phenomenal success. You know, we would have, there would have been nothing we couldn't achieve as a group. Um, you know, so I think just that that environment that was created for me led, you know, led to be the best experience in my footballing career. You know, at Shamrock Rovers at that time, but you know, other clubs you you go to, you try to bring the same, but the environment just isn't the same or personalities probably aren't just the same you know so again that's that's you know out of no that's out of everyone's control it's just something that seems to happen and click at a certain time and you know thankfully um at that time for overs it did and, and seems to be back in the club now as well which is great it kind of is the a consequence of success isn't it? i'm drawing parallels again between this season and 2011 and the stevens obviously played really well that season he gets a move to Aston Villa which was held off until January and then kind of similar now Andy Lyons has signed for Blackpool and he'll join for them he'll join them in January so it kind of does happen players especially when they're playing so well at high level like the group stages they do end up moving on don't they yeah they do Carl and and that's you know that's a positive thing you know because always within a group you'll have players that will kind of you know, excel individually and, and, and they'd want to go to the next level, you know, uh, and they'd want to go and play somewhere else. But like, I think even at, in that 2011 group, you know, there's a lot of us who could have went back to the UK as well. You know, there's many options to go back um, for a lot of players, but, you know, you make decisions for yourself individually, you know, your, you know, different things that are going on in your life at a certain time. Um, you know, but now at this moment in time, Rovers, obviously you have a good group of players, you know, Brad's just done, and and the coaches and the, everyone that's involved in the club have you know done great to get it back to to where it is now after obviously twenty eleven having that dip for a couple of years um you know and more and more of this will happen you know a lot of younger players have have obviously gone to the gone to the UK but Rovers in a position now where they don't have to accept just any offer that comes in for a player you know they can they can keep them at the club and, and you know the players are happy to stay there and if the move is right for everyone then it happens and if not then that's okay too. 
And um, we were asked, um, what was it like for you coming back to Tala after your time at Robbers? You went on to play with Cork again, Pats, Limerick. So what was it like coming back then facing Robbers, your old club? Yeah, it was tough. Like, you know, to be honest, it was tough. It was always a lot of it. Was, you know, sometimes I'm going to I should still be here. Um, you know, but it, again, it's it's individually. Then as a player, you have a job to do because it's your livelihood at the end of the day. You know what I mean? That's what's paying your bills and, and football is what's, you know, getting you by. So, you know, I always knew that whenever I played, no matter where I played, that, you know, you have to go and perform because, you know, ultimately your livelihood's at stake. You know, so that was probably the driving factor behind, you know, a lot of my performances. But certainly when I'm back to Rovers, that's what I had to think about because, you know, going back to the club that it was, you know, I certainly missed the environment and missed, you know, the success that we had, although there was no guarantees that would continue to happen. Of course not. But, you know, you always think back of the good times you had at the club and then meeting people within the club, you know, Jonathan and Noel, you know, the kid man and, you know, Jerry and everyone, you know, you kind of, you'd see them there and you'd have a bit of chat with them and, you know, you 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 remember the good times that that you all had, but look, I think we're all fortunate to have had them, and and you know to go back and play in Tala now and see the ground that it is, and while it's progressing, to it's a testament to all the hard work that's going on behind the scenes as well. Uh, Jerry Desmond is putting you on the spot here. He wants a funny story from your time at Rovers. So, unless it's maybe something, maybe one of the characters in the dressing room or something funny with the fans, uh, if you can think of anything that just springs to mind. That's not really a funny story to everyone else, probably. But uh, myself and Big Al, after, um, after a win at home, um, if we had a good win or anyone, really, we used to have a, a party car on the way home. So we put on a, a we put on a tune on the radio and we'd have it up full blast and we'd drive around hello with the music blaring and we'd be singing our hearts out. You know, we'd be giving it socks, dancing in the car, <laughs> out the windows and giving it loads. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we used to do on on the way home after after a home win. Um, but yeah, good good times. Uh, is is Al defying physics at the moment? He seems to, he's he's forty years old and he appears to be getting better. Yeah, and again, there's no surprise there. You know, just just with Al in, in the way that he he approached the game and in the way that he I suppose approached his own individual performance. Um. You know, he, he was um you know, a real true professional in, in the way that he in the way that he worked and the way that he went about things and and you know, as I said, Al's probably worth twelve to fifteen points a season to to a team. So um, you know, Rovers are very lucky to have him very lucky to have him. Um, you know, and I'm sure he's very happy there as well. And, you know, it's um it's a reward for all the hard work he's put in over a long period of time that he's still getting to play at this level and, and perform at this level and you know that all he deserves all the rewards he gets. I know you played with Gary O'Neill in um, 2011, but what about the modern day Gary O'Neill, the the Tralee man? Would you would you know him personally at all? Oh yeah, Jesus, um, Gary O'Neill. Obviously, the original Gary O'Neill at, at Rovers was a great character. You know, he he was a great guy to have around the dressing room and a great player. You know, something very different to what we had in the team. Already, you know the way he could he could come and link the game, and and his first touch was unbelievable. And you know he's a great great character. He's a good laugh. Um, Gary, you know, on the great fella to be around and in the dressing room with. Um, and you know he's probably a key part really to the group and the squad overall. Um, but obviously the the new Gary O'Neill, the the Kerry man. Um, it's good to have obviously a Kerry man still the Rovers flying the flag. Um, 
you know, and Gary obviously has has gone in there in a similar story or a similar background to a lot of players where he's been in the UK, hasn't worked out. He's come back to Ireland, been at a club to get himself, I suppose, back enjoying his football and get his feet, you know, back in the game. And, and then you go to a club like Rovers and I suppose the support network that Rovers has to help you progress and push on. And it's up to you as a player then whether you take that or not. But, you know, Gary has... Um, you know, it obviously helps having Bradzer as a manager that played in his position as well. I'm sure it's been a big help um, to him and helped him settle in. And, you know, it's great to have him, you know, there alone playing and, and performing and winning leagues and trophies. It's a great feeling. And, um, you know, as I said, it's it's good to have a Kerry man um, still in those circles. Yeah, Robert Goggins claims that Gary is the first Kerry man to win the FBI Cup. With uh, with Shamrock Rovers, I know you came very close in in 2010. You could have been the first carry man there, but uh, the the honor goes to Gary apparently. Yeah, no, it is. Once there's one carry man up there and in the mix, that's the main thing. We're, we're trying to fly the flag for everyone else down here and for all the younger players coming through, and, and that's very important because you know when you're from down in Kerry, you know there seem there's a lot of obstacles and a lot of barriers in your way to try and even get to a decent level. You know what I mean? So it's important that you know there is certain players that keep. I suppose, representing all the other players from this area because, you know, it gives them belief and it gives them hope that they can go on and play in the Viva and play for big clubs and be involved in big games. So, um, you know, once once there's some carry, carry man up there and, and, you know, flying the flag for all the rest of these young players, then, you know, that's vital. Uh, a, lot, a lot of listeners to our podcast would listen to LOI Central as well, so they probably would have heard you speak about Kerry UFC and their plans to enter the League of Ireland. So, basically... Uh, would you have any latest on that? Are you looking at 2023 and are you sort of putting plans in place now to uh, to hopefully enter the league? Yeah, it is, Karen. I suppose just to give you a quick background on it, I suppose the, the whole idea came was when I when I retired um, from playing, you know, I, I said to my wife, I'm having nothing to do with the game for a long time. We're going to have the weekends off. We're going to be able to do things. And, and within six weeks, I was washing jerseys here at home in my kitchen. And, you know, I was footballs and cones all over the house. And I, I just kind of been roped into coaching with the Kerry Ungerage set up. Uh, um, and from there, year on year on year, it's just progressed. You know, we obviously reached the McFarren Cup final where we played Bowes. Evan Ferguson scored a hat-trick that day. Um, you know, but the players have done really, really well. And I suppose now we're at a crossroads where where do those players go after 19s? You know, um, you know, historically, they have either gone to Cork, Cork, Treaty, um, you know, so the conversation started was why can't they have the next step here in Kerry? Um, and a, and a group originally approached Kerry. Um, I think they tried to enter the league before. Um, but that model was was a kind of different model to what I envisaged for Kerry. You know, I, I kind of envisaged a pathway for players that are kind of homegrown players as much as possible that are given that pathway through the club into the first team. Um, you know, and that led to conversation with a friend of mine, um, Stephen Conway, who who works for a club in Boston called the Boston Bulls. Um, the, the CEO of that club um, is an Irishman, Brian Ainscough. And the conversations just kind of flowed like this with a lot of Zoom calls over the last probably year and a half. And, you know, we kind of teased out how could this even happen or how could it, what would, what would the way to even go about it? You know, and slowly the kind of jigsaw pieces start to pull it together. And, and you know, we we entered the licensing process through through the FAI, but even to get to that stage, there was a lot, a lot of work to do, you know. But, um, you know, we're in the licensing process now, you know, it's very, very difficult, you know. There's 
lots of stuff that go on where as a player I didn't even think about I didn't even realize went down in a ground or a match day or in a club you know so it, it has given me a lot more respect for everybody involved in the club behind the scenes because the work that those people do is phenomenal um you know to make sure a match day operates correctly and make sure that you know the club is you know compliant with everything it needs to be um so a lot of that work is ongoing now at the moment in the licensing process but for sure the main objective is to be you know accepted into the league for for next season for 2023 into the first division and you know that's the aim you know will we achieve it or not remains to be seen but you know everybody's doing their very best to, to hopefully make that happen yeah it would be good to have uh that geographical spread have a new county represented even the Premier Division, you probably saw at the start of the season, somebody drew a line across the middle of Ireland. And Tata Stadium is the most southern stadium in the Premier Division, which is remarkable. Like, to have no monster represented clubs in the top flight. Yeah, it is, Carolyn. It's, you know, it, it, to be honest, it's something that needs to change. You know, obviously, you can't expect anybody to change that only yourselves. You know, and, and that's what I, I'm saying down here in Kerry. You know, you, you can't expect expect you know anybody to come in and you know show you the way you have to kind of obviously lean on resources and help from from everybody which has been very supportful of the Kerry FC since it's been announced you know the amount of clubs that have reached out and individuals that have reached out just in relation to a bit of advice in the licensing process or or anything that can do they can do to help but ultimately as a club you know you have to have your own ship in order you know you have to have your own structures right you have to have your own environment right in a very I suppose your own clarity within the club or what you're looking to achieve and what are the you know the key performance indicators throughout the club that you need to be strict on and you need to make sure it's happening throughout throughout the club to be to be progressive and, and you know that's on 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 every club individually. You know, that's every club's responsibility. And you know, if you're not where you should be, then you know, you can only look at yourself and, and ask those questions internally because um, you know, to have no monster, you know, team in, in the Premier Division, uh, you know. You know, isn't good, and and you know, hopefully that can change going forward. You know, Corker obviously up there, thereabouts now, and um, you know, over time, you know, hopefully the Munster clubs can come back and again create that, you know, all Ireland spread throughout the Premier Division. And just to finish up, um, the group stages are obviously coming up. They're starting um next week. Looking at our performance in the group stage, you scored a free kick against Pauk. and we got those equalizers in Russia and Greece. Took the lead in White Hart Lane. Did you feel we could have gotten one or two more points in 2011? And how do you think this Robbers team will fare in, in this group? Yeah, like I, th- I think obviously when you're going into the unknown, like we were with zero experience from any other team that had qualified for those stages, you're kind of going into the unknown and, and the group that we had then as well, you know, the resources that they had and the players that they had, you know, you were always going to be up against it. Um but, you know, there's certainly one or two games that we feel like we could have done a bit better. You know, Poke obviously at home. Um, going, going up 1-0 at White Hart Lane was a surprise to all of us. So, um, you know, their games, obviously, you're not, you know that you're not going to be, you know, you know, probably that's going to be more difficult. Um, but, you know, I think Rose around this time, I think, you know, they've they've team they're again from Belgium. They've, you know, a group from Norway, Sweden. You know, I can see them picking up points. You know, I think overall the group is probably stronger individually, you know, as a squad, you know, to kind of balance those home games that they're going to have, you know, along with the, the European games. I, th- I think they probably have a stronger group, you know, overall in the number, amount the numbers that they have in the group. So hopefully that'll help them. Um, but again, these games are small margins. You know, there's very, very little 
um, room for error, really. You know, small mistakes can cost you massively. But I think the group now have a lot of experience. And obviously, you know, Brad has a lot of experience and, and the coaches have to have a lot of experience now and a lot of European games under their belt. So that'll help, certainly help them as well. I asked Craig Sibes, um he says his best night in football was Belgrade. But he said if he could bottle a feeling, it would be the 30 seconds after the goal in Wyatt Lane. So with that in mind, I suppose, if you had to pick one, what's your best memory in the Robbers jersey? It doesn't have to be those two. I mean, any any game and any time. Uh, I think that first league win in Bray, you know, a lot of people would think of the European games and the, the Juventus in the stadiums, but, you know, winning that first league, you know, was... You know, it was a, a, a great feeling and, you know, I suppose, again, it was something that as a player where, where I'd probably been and the, the kind of journey I'd gone through and, and to be back now and at a club where, you know, you, you really could feel that it was the start of something, you know, at that time, you know, you could really, uh, you know, personally anyway, I'd feel like we're only starting this now and just to get that one, you know, really kickstart because if you'd went to the last that league in the last day of the season, starting the following season then would have been a whole different, you know, yeah. there would have been a whole different perspective on it. You know, I mean, there would have been a lot more to go and win it, and it would have been a lot more difficult. But I said that that first league win teed us up for the following year, teed us up for Europe, teed us up for the league, teed us up for the cup runs. You know, so I, I, I think just, um, yeah, I think that that night in Bray, you know, the celebrations for a couple of days after that, um, was certainly a uh, good time. That's a bloody absolute pleasure meeting you. Uh, best ever winger, according to that gentleman on Instagram. Yes. Uh, thanks so much for your time really enjoyed that interview no thanks very much Carl for having me on and, and you know everyone associated with the club um, you know thanks very much for the support you've always given it's been very much appreciated and you know, hopefully I'll get back to Tala um, soon enough for, for a game um, you know and I wish everyone in the club all the best for the European runners up. yeah so Billy back with Avengers one of my favourite wingers hug the touchline swinging in um, interesting to hear about he he didn't really remember the goal that scored that he scored against us to kind of fuck our season over. I was disappointed. I want to get some insight on that, you know. Yeah, um, if you remember, I interviewed Dan Murray last year. I think he remembered a bit more about that because the the bus was. Remember, the issue, they called it? that he called into the radio, basically pleading for the fans to help out, get them paid, and then they got on the bus and then they beat us. But um, yeah, then he. I've talked to a few lads from that era who, Craig, Craig Sibbles was another one, mm. who, it's not until you bring up the goal or the game that it starts flooding back. And they're like, oh yeah. It's like, it's one of those where they they, they don't think about it until I bring it up. But um, no, good to hear from Biddy. Good um, to hear Biddy. No, really good stuff. And it's, he's pretty much got Kerry football on his back. You know, he's kind of drag it through the, through the doldrums and much to Tommy Tarmy's dismay he's he's mm-hmm. doing a good job but it was great to hear him talk about Tommy uh, Tarmy in his pyjamas Tommy <laughs> Tommy Tarmy just so we know Tommy Tarmy brought pyjamas <laughs> to Ghent Prof saw him in them well he he didn't have the little hat with the bobble on it though he was uh, he was very keen to stress that he wore runners and not slippers <laughs> so it wasn't the full could you imagine him with the the, the button yeah. up <laughs> the stripey ones with the hat and the, hand, the candle <laughs> the candle in his hand it wasn't the full ghetto but yeah. yeah yeah so yeah great stuff from Billy great to hear from him and um, 
I think coming back from we were saying, talking about he's over at Sunderland and just coming back uh, rebuilding your 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 confidence your shattered confidence from that and to go on and have a good career like that not many do it and Billy mm. Billy did it uh, perfectly he was, he was really good one of those players who he grows in stature the the further we, we move on from his time I think at the time we didn't appreciate him yeah. enough and but. once again another player that bottles to tell the truth about Kenny I'm at that point now where no I know one's ever gonna no say one's going to do it do you know who I think might will Gary McCabe possibly yeah if we can get him on anyone knows Gareth tell him we want him on but yeah Billy Bottle he's part of that group we all know we all know <laughs> what happened tight knit group fuck Kenny out <laughs> Oh, yes, so that's it for Billy. And next up, Prof, Stan Levens. Predictions. Yeah, I'm going to do it in a... We're going to do a musical one here, Prof. It's a musical start at 11. You're going to play some jazz piano. I'm going to smoke a cigarette with a filter. We're going to get it on down. Uh, none of these things will happen. <laughs> yeah, so right, Stan Levens. I'm going to go... We need. We need to go... All out here, right? So I'm gonna go Manus, Grace Cleary, Hor. Hor apparently is back. Lions is on international duty, so remove oh, him. Prof. Is he actually on it? Well, he's he's in the squad. Oh, uh, Justin there, is also unavailable. There goes my pace. Right, so Grace Cleary, Hor. Right. So you're bringing Hor straight back in. I'm bringing Hor straight back in, yeah. I, th- I think he's he's realistically he's probably gonna go Grace Cleary Gannon. Right. Even though horror is available. I want I want I want pace. I want pace on this one for some I just want pace in this one, right? But he's um, he's after resting Finn and Derry, so he's probably gonna start Finn. Yeah, he probably will. I'm you're making me change it now, prof. No, I'm just telling you what I think Brazzy will do. I it will see the thing is horror wasn't out for that long. So I'm thinking he might put him straight back mm. in. How will you like you know what I mean? Or he's gonna bring him yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking Grace Cleary Horror. From Fruge on the left because he's been he's been doing well. Gary O'Neill and McCann in the middle. It was going to be... I wasn't going to play Finn, that's being honest. I wanted a bit more mobility. Oh, hang on. Grace is also suspended. Oh, fuck, I forgot. That's why. Grace, yes. <laughs> yeah. I forgot because it was the cup and it yeah. didn't carry on. Right, Sorry, so that's Gannon. Well, I, Gannon. Meant, I meant to say Cavo Cleary Gannon there. Yeah, Gannon. Okay, so Gannon, Cleary, Hor. Cleary, Hor, Gannon, whatever way you want to put it. And then Finn has to play. So Finn has to play out wide. I wanted pace. Finn, we get hard work instead. Fruge on the left, Finn on the right. McCann and O'Neill in the middle. Gaff, Jack, Bork. Bork has to start for me on this one. Yeah, I think he's been a sub the last few games. I think it can't be a stage where... How do we forget Grace was suspended? He's getting minutes into his into the legs. Yeah. I think it's time to start Bork. I think this is the game to start him. This is the game to start him. Yeah, I'm going to say for a wi- I'm going to say a tight enough one because these are going to be all full of blood and guts. They're going to the whole Joey's going to be in their ear kick them while they're down and all that shit. So, I'm going to say 2-0 tight game with two late goals. Say Jack, no, Jack won't get one. Bork, Bork brace. Bork, Bork brace, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, I can't really argue with the team because I want yeah. I want Burke to start. Even though Greener scored the spectacular winner last time we played here. Yep. Um. Actually, Danny Mandroyu made a big difference last time we played here. Yeah, huge. And we came off the bench. Um. I'm also yeah. I'm I'm also thinking a, a Burke goal. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say one nil win with Burkey. Burkey to Burkey the winner. Yeah, so Sligo Mall ticket links are sent to members as well. And um, 
Oh, that's for the South stand. So make sure you pick them up. Get your Sligo tickets. The link actually, you won't get your Sligo tickets. Oh, you will. The you will get them. They're being sent out. So five hundred is the allocation, prof. Big big support. Looking at this one, the whack is running. The Tifties bus is back, risen from the dead. Zombie bus. So we are back, and um, we're flying. We're gonna be. We're gonna be running the bus. Hoops so, to see are back as well. They were slash Pride Rings. They end. were they were cancelled before Derry, but they're back for this yeah, one. Yeah, the hoops I see are back. The amalgamation um, is back, prof. We are running our bus. This is a big three games. We've got shells Thursday away. We've got UCD home. Monday and we've got Sligo away Saturday before we go to Norway I feel like I'm going to be going into this Sligo game fucking shit myself I remember last season we, we won out there was it the Greener, Gaffney was the Gaffney chips. winner no Greener that was chips. the previous 1-0 1-0 Gaffney yeah. it was 1-0 Gaffney it was a year ago and we ran a bus from the pros remember? that was a big win oh god it was a it was a it was a it was a rebound a rebound I think it was about three cars through the season I think we might have had a little wobble and I think we beat Waterford at home mm. and we won away to Sligo and it was a massive six points. And then that put us firmly on course for the title then. Yeah. Big, big games yeah. coming up. So I'm nervous. I'm nervous, Prof. We'll, you'll, hopefully <laughs> hopefully we can do it. But listen, that is it for this week, Prof. We are going to Talca Park. We're not sure where we're drinking. Don't think we can drink in the cat and cage. But we'll see it out there. We'll see it in, behind the goal. 850 hoops screaming on. So that's it for this week, Prof. Keep on hooping. See you. Has anybody seen Billy Boy? Since he fell in love, he's such a silly boy. We ain't seen him hide nor hair. But looky there, creepers, jeepers. Well, I declare, that whistle means Billy Boy is here. Oh, where have you been? Boy, Billy boy, oh, oh, where have you been, charming Billy? I've been up the road about just visiting my love. She's a nice young thing when she cannot leave her mother. Did she ask you to tea, Billy boy, Billy boy? Did she ask you to tea, charming Billy? Yes, she asked me into tea. Then she sat right down upon my knee. She's a young thing and cannot leave her mother. And she baked a cherry pie in the twinkling of an eye. Is she fitted for your wife? As my pocket for my knife. Did you ask her to wed, Billy boy, Billy boy? Did you ask her to wed, Jamin' Billy?